Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Strike and Ellicott Files, an unofficial podcast dedicated to all things Cormor and Strike and Robin Ellicott, as written by Robert Galbraith. My name is Kenz. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Pools. And today we'll be continuing our reread of the Ink Black Heart, this time covering chapters 58 through 62 of part four. Please be aware, as always, that our discussion of the Ink Black Heart will occasionally reference the ending of this book as well as the rest of the books in the series. But of course, before we get into today's chapters, we have so many updates that we have to go through. Should we jump right in with all the Twitter updates we've had lately? Because it feels like we've been given so much new information about this book since we last recorded. Yes. The amount of info that we've been getting is insane. It is. Like, way more than any other book. And it feels to me like Joe is really, really excited about this book, which makes me very excited you know as if so, we yeah. couldn't be more excited than we already are i feel like right. i could be more excited the next time <laughs> she drops on twitter will probably make me even more excited. yeah i know but yeah let's, let's get into the it. limit does not exist it does. I guess. <laughs> so on may 20th joe responded to someone's tweet about being around rupert court which is if you remember a location from one of joe's headers and asked why this location is featured in the running grave and joe said in response i wish i could tell you just be careful down there you never know who or what you might meet (laughs) (laughs) yeah obviously i spent the rest of that saturday thinking about this i have a couple of ideas so one came from roseanne on twitter and she said that a body can be both a who and a what which is so true Mm -hmm. and it would fit with joe's warning to be careful that idea also made me think of lang by the way that can also be a who and a what lang fucking monster yeah yeah so a serial killer stalking the streets yeah it makes me wonder if my original thought that a body would be found in water isn't right or if more than one body will show up is it weird that my first thought was dementors yes (laughs) (laughs) but no a body honestly seems really likely to me Mm -hmm. so your point about what if a body isn't found in water yeah. Well, then what if his earlier victims was washed up? Yeah. And just on a personal note, having a serial killer active so close to their office would make Strike really nervous for Robin's safety. A serial killer is a good guess. I'm a little less enthusiastic about Robin being in danger again, because it feels like she's in danger maybe once per book. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know these are books, so yeah. that's needed. But I'm like, let's have Strike be a target. Actually, it would be fun if Strike was so nervous about Robin, but then it turns out that he's the one in danger. It's a serial killer who goes after bear-like men. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Does he want to like stuff them and put them up like this? Oh, his... no. <laughs> oh God. That's oh, God, so that's disturbing. Terrible. I know. Well, I was thinking of the bears that you yeah, get. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like that episode of Ghost um, with the bear. Oh, that was a funny episode. Yeah. And Robin was so afraid of it. <laughs> different robin yeah my second thought though was kind of what we talked about before when we discussed the lantern man legend so maybe there's going to be some sort of supernatural aspect to this book and obviously it won't be real there will be some sort of logical explanation but some sort of lore that's in the background of the story i don't know kind of like how the tarot was Mm. another very important twitter update is that we learned that strike will eat cake in the running grave (laughs) good for him yeah this is by far the most important revelation (laughs) that we've had yet and i I agree more immediately Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. oh yeah the speculation is already is underway i've seen people guess that it's vanessa's wedding the christening for the baby pat makes more fruitcake 
I had kind of just thought that it was during an interview that someone offers him cake. That's probably the most likely scenario, I think. Yeah, christening is a good guess if we see it. I hope we do. I love this fandom full of obsessives. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe tiny, but we're lunatics. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A christening cake sounds logical to me. But I guess another option would be someone's birthday, maybe even Strike's. Strike's birthday would be good because that would be a good reason for him to indulge in some cake if he is on a diet. It's your birthday. Have a piece. Yeah. You deserve a cake on your birthday. Sure. If it is his birthday and the novel starts in mid-November, then the timeline could easily go into the new year, which would make Robin being undercover in 2016 possible, right? Because I think that that was something Joe said was happening on Twitter. Yeah. But it would mean not much of a time skip from the end of Ink Black Heart. Yeah, it would be the same as Ink Black Heart. Yeah. Although christening cake would also presumably point to not a very long time skip. Yeah. So in either case, we're good. Yeah, that timeline seems very possible to me. Yeah, I just don't want to open up the running grave and have Robin been dating Murphy for a year. I'm like, no, I can't. We all just had a huge collective sigh. I'm tired. I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) I actually don't anticipate huge time gaps anymore just because of her talking about not getting to COVID. Yeah. That only leaves us to 2019. We're only four years away. I guess that it could, but if each book takes about a year, I don't know. I'm just anticipating shorter timelines. So we'll see. Yeah. I love that during no point of this discussion, have we pointed out the fact that the whole reason that we found that out to begin with was because, Lindsay, you (laughs) made a Twix cake. Mm -hmm. You added Joe on Twitter and was like, (laughs) it does strike eat cake in the running grave. And then she found the tweet hours after you had already posted it and was like, yes, he does. I'll have to eat it myself in order to know whether or not he'll like it. Yeah, that was very exciting. And that cake looked delicious. Was it as good as it looked? It was amazing. It's not my recipe, so I can say that. It's one of the best cakes I've ever tasted. It was so good. I'm 100% making that cake again. I bet Strike would love it. He would. By the way, I I do get that recipe from, her name's Mandy Merriman. She's Baking with Blondie on Instagram. All of my cake recipes I make from her. They're amazing. Strike approved. Strike approved. If JK Rowling is listening to this, you should invite us to Edinburgh so that Lindsay can bake the cake for you. There you go. We'd be happy to do that. You'd be happy to sit there while I do the work. And then eat the cake. Yes. Right. It's important to have taste testers. I will test if it's poison. I will throw myself Mm -hmm. on that sword while hanging out with JK Rowling and drinking (laughs) tea. I promise I wouldn't poison her. No. Somebody (laughs) said that because she said, you know, send me the cake. And someone was like, be careful. Someone might poison you. And I was like, I'm not going to poison her. I'm also not sending her a cake from California. Like, let's <laughs> All the way real. to Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate people looking out for her safety, but I, yes. I'm not going to poison her. It's good to or know. Or make her a cake. Neither of those things yeah. are happening. For right now, anyway. I'll send her the recipe if she wants. Just, you know, my DMs are open. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Okay. We have more updates. So another update. As of May 23rd. Joe is working together with her publisher to determine the cover design of Running Grave, which, yay, exciting. Her tweet really made me laugh because she was talking about how she was had these cover designs and she's trying to show them to her family and her family is not being of any help at all. <laughs> like, you know what? Fuck <laughs> they it. They can't agree. Send, right. It's just like, send it to her editor. Just pick one. I love how many people offered to help. Just yeah. let us decide, Joe. We, yeah. We'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm also happy to fall on that sword. It does make me wish that we could see both of the options. Like if they're fighting over which one is the best. Yeah. 
I want to know if there are little details that are different that I can obsess over. Yeah. One thing I'm sure of is that we're all going to go absolutely nutty with speculation when the course mm-hmm. does come out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to predict that maybe blue will be the dominant color this time. I love that prediction. I, blue is my favorite color, so maybe I'm biased. That's mine too. And I feel like this is going to be, be a, a good book, so we want it to be blue. Yes. Like his middle name. Exactly. This is Strike's healing journey, right? This is what we're predicting. Yes okay <laughs> make it blue. blue blue okay so god there was a another update just the next day yeah so the morning of may 24th joe was tweeting about the italian restaurant il portico appearing in the running grave and she did this whole contest that was basically saying she's gonna give away dinners to x you know number of people if you send in like outrageous wish fulfillment etc sort of predictions for the running grave whatever amused her the most i think is what she's going for and she tweeted in response to somebody's prediction talking about strike pretending to be happy seeing robin and murphy and she said that Strikes very bad at pretending he's happy when he's not. Very bad indeed. And by the way, huge congratulations to all four winners, but especially yes. Katie, because yes. she's our friend and we're so excited for her. Yeah, so excited. Yes. <laughs> that is amazing. This whole morning of tweeting predictions and reading everyone else's was so much fun. It was. Thank you for that, Joe. Just going along with it was very entertaining. But that tweet that you mentioned, Ken, it's really interesting because it's not just that he's bad at hiding when he's grumpy I'm hoping that it means that Robin is going to pick up on that when it comes to her dating Murphy I feel like if Strike is extra grumpy because of this Pat is gonna have words to say to him I kind of hope that Pat ends up being the one to knock some sense into him because it would be funny but I agree Robin will have to be able to figure out that it's jealousy grumpiness she already kind of knows in the coda that he's jealous and She also was grumpy because she was jealous. She's going to be understanding that, yeah, I was feeling the same thing, you know? (laughs) But I would love to see Pat correcting his behavior out of friendship and respect and not just animosity like it was in Troubled Blood. Yes. It'd be really good. I'd love to see Pat and Strike have a heart to heart. I just want more Pat and Strike and Pat and Robin and Pat and everyone. Just make the books about Pat. We did get some other Strike-related responses, so... She said that all of the buried alive predictions was not something she saw coming, (laughs) which of course made me laugh. (laughs) Maybe she never saw it coming because she never guessed that we would all so accurately (laughs) predict it's going to happen. Let's edit down that we would all for a second. (laughs) By we would all, I mean certain readers who know what's going on. Not me (laughs) and the ones on Twitter. Don't try to reclaim certain readers. Other things, she joked about Sandra, which was really fun. Yeah. One of my favorites was when somebody said, Strike will start swimming with a Paralympic coach, stop smoking, drinking, go vegetarian, and lose 40 pounds. She said that she was with them until they said vegetarian. (laughs) Oh my God. Seriously. That's how you know hell has frozen over is if Strike Uh, has gone vegetarian. vegetarian. Or it could also be like a phrase to know if Strike's been kidnapped. He's like, I've gone vegetarian. (laughs) That would be so funny. Robin, well, when we meet for lunch, order me the vegan option. Hang up. Strike's been kidnapped. (laughs) (laughs) but does this mean that we can have hope for him swimming and exercising i both hope and think so she liked my tweet about him getting back into great shape by either boxing or swimming and also 
that I wanted to see him shirtless more often. And also you had a gif of Gaston ripping open his shirt to show his (laughs) She saw it. Yeah. I feel like that was the best part of the tweet. Yeah. So anyway, if we get that in the running grave, you're welcome. Thank you, Ken. There was one that Badly Wired Lamp said about we've had a lack of coconut matting since Cuckoo's Calling, and she liked that as well. Yes, she did. <laughs> but no, I agree. I think he's going to really commit to getting healthier. And maybe because throwing himself into exercise could be a great way to burn off all of his feelings about Robin and yeah. Murphy, you know, punch the punching bag. Yeah, I have a feeling it's not going to work out for him that well. It maybe mm-hmm. just result in Robin checking him out a bit. Oh, um, so it will work out for him is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a big one. Someone just said the daughter dies and Joe responded with, wow, is all I can say to that. Wow. That's a big clue. I think yeah, that's a mm-hmm. huge clue. Yeah. So some people are already suggesting that it's someone that we already know, like Lucy dies. Better not be Flavia. Well, literally any woman or girl could be a daughter. <laughs> that is true. Yes. So <laughs> I thought that it maybe it's that's who their new client is. Someone whose daughter has died, has hired mm. them. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm thinking. I could absolutely see that. Someone said... My prediction is Strike will dive into his past and childhood and that Leda will be heavily featured, but will finally see his birthday being celebrated with a proper cake at Il Portico. And Joe said, so much I could say to this. That's just mean. I think we're all thinking that we're going to learn more about his childhood and Joe's answer makes me think so even more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think she's deliberately trying to make me lose my entire mind with all of this teasing (laughs) because- I'm becoming less and less patient waiting for September to get here. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to build anticipation, Joe, it's really working. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the desire for each book gets stronger and stronger every time. Yeah. Yep. Her talking about this book, just teasing little things like this here and there has done more to build my anticipation for a new book than anything the Robert Galbraith social media (laughs) team has ever done ever. (laughs) Like literally ever. You don't get really excited with the new crosswords no no when i got that email a few days ago i was like oh yay more articles i've already read and (laughs) crosswords awesome my favorite it was just a really great day it just seems like she does enjoy reading us all kind of go nuts over strike related stuff Mm -hmm. i don't think i'll ever get over the fact that she read and liked that very thirsty conversation that you and i can be having (laughs) with a few others (laughs) She's seen it. She knows it's a thing and she liked it. She could have just ignored it, but she didn't. She liked it. She liked the entire conversation. It was amazing. I have to think that she was at her desk or sitting at her phone just laughing and Uh, laughing to herself. She must have been cackling. Or she's like, these crazy people. (laughs) These are a bunch of badly wired lamps. Yeah. (laughs) I also love that at the end of it all, she said, thanks to everyone who tweeted their excellent and sometimes bonkers suggestions. I feel like you're thinking the bonkers was in reference to my brilliant tweet about the cannibal. I immediately thought of you as soon as I read that. (laughs) I'll just say that she liked my tweet too. So (laughs) cannibal killer coming up. If that happens, it's going to be the funniest thing ever because you're going to be. I'll lose it completely. Kenz, do you want to talk about the update to the page count? Ooh, yeah. yeah. That's exciting. Hell yeah, it is. So the page count for Running Grave has been updated from 912 pages to 960 pages. Page count increasing 
is always a good thing. It yes. is. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Another book that we can kill a man with. Exactly. It's like right up there with Order of the Phoenix, you know. Mm -hmm. So far, I've been able to confirm this on Amazon US, UK, Canada, and Australia, as well as the Hachette book group site, which is really exciting. Um, having yeah. it be consistent across all of those spaces is a good sign, I think. But if this is anywhere close to what the true page count is in the book, that makes it 16 pages longer than Troubled Blood and 64 pages shorter than Ink Black Heart. I love that. If we're right that book eight will be here in the fall of 2024, I think the first thing we need to do is divide the chapters up and plan our schedule with that in mind. Because mm -hmm. another book that's almost a thousand pages, we're going to oh need to plan God. ahead. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and one last update. The Running Grave is now available for pre-order through Audible in the U.S. as of May 22nd, and it's got mm -hmm. an initial runtime listed of 27 hours, but I think that's just a placeholder, to be honest with you. It's yeah. it's almost certainly not correct. I remember the times changing a bunch for the Ink Black Heart, too. So yeah, I, I fully expect the same thing. Mm -hmm. All right, should we go to our Q&A? So this is kind of continuing on in a similar vein from the last episode. We were talking about TV-related stuff, and this one is, what's been your experience of the Strike novels being adapted for TV? My experience of the TV show, and obviously I'm an executive producer and I work with the, um, it, when I say I work with Tom Edge, who's written most of them, you know, he's doing the writing, he's doing the hard work, but I, I do have some input. And I can honestly say it's probably been one of the, the happiest collaborations of my life. It's, it's been pure joy. It's really, really been uh, wonderful. I really love the show and the lead, the lead actors are phenomenal and also just really nice people. Everything, everything works just beautifully. So yeah, I love it. Long may it continue, you know, I really, we've just finished filming Troubled Blood and I'm about to watch the fourth episode that's been cut together. So yeah, there is more to come, which I'm happy about because I'm a fan of the show. I'm just thinking about Joe about to watch the fourth episode of Troubled Blood, which is probably the most chippy, romantic, beautiful episode of the whole entire thing, right? It's amazing. Yes. I just wonder if she watches with that same silly smile that I have when I watch them, like a Aww. huge dork, you know? Mm -hmm. yep. I was just telling someone recently that I think that Joe must be the biggest shipper of all of us because she's the one who's doing it, right? She's planning it. Yeah. So obviously she wants it. I just wonder if she has those little aw moments when she's watching too. The thing you said about her being the biggest shipper of all of us, this is why I wasn't upset at the end of Ink Black Heart. This is why I'm mm -hmm. not worried about what she has planned. I know where she's going because it's clear that she loves these characters and is of telling course. a story about them and that she, she's leading up to them being happy together. Exactly. I can see that. She loves them. She's going to give them a happy ending, I think. Yeah. I mm -hmm. could not agree more. Absolutely. Yeah. That thing Absolutely. you said, it just, it's like, yep, yeah, this is mm -hmm. why I'm just happy to buckle in. We're here for the ride, right? get on this roller coaster and enjoy what's happening to me. Yeah, I completely mm -hmm. agree with you. I guess the other thing about this answer is just that it makes me happy to hear what a happy collaboration this is for her. Yeah, it makes it easier for me to enjoy the series knowing that she's happy with it and that she has a good time working on it. Okay, should we jump in? Yes. We're heading into part four, so we have a Grey's Anatomy epigraph. We do. So the epigraph for part four, like you were just saying, is another one from Grey's Anatomy. Fibers of the ventricles. These are arranged in an exceedingly complex manner, and the accounts given by various anatomists differ considerably. My original thought for these Grey's Anatomy epigraphs was that we were following the journey of Strike's heart in the book, mm -hmm. exposing, boiling, all leading up to that moment in the end where he finally acknowledges his heart. And I definitely still think that's happening. 
But the more we go through these, the more I'm seeing how it applies to both the personal and the case. I agree. I was flipping through to see which chapters fell in this part. And there is a lot of really great stuff here. They interviewed Josh. Robin interviews Pez and Strike It Jealous. Yeah. There's the bombing in its aftermath. Strike and Robin go to Whitstable. They interview Rachel. They uncover Morehouse's identity. And then they find mm. Vikas murdered. A lot of plot points from the book are hitting their sort of explosive, sometimes literally, climax here both in regards to the case and the heart. Yeah, obviously the idea that the heart is exceedingly complex works for both Strike and Robin's heart, particularly Strike since he's still trying to figure his out. But saying that the heart is complex also fits with the case as in the ink black heart itself is complicated and all the characters, which then extends to the fans and then extends to the crime itself. Mm-hmm. So I think that last line fits very well with everything going on in this section. It really does. And in regards to Strike and Robin's hearts, jealous Strike, lying to and then breaking up with Madeline Strike, Strike yeah. being close to Robin in domestic scenes, wanting to oh. compliment her, thinking that Hugh Jax is proposing to her over text <laughs> and then actually saying something about it. Uh-huh. His heart is becoming exposed a bit mm-hmm. here. We also get some serious Robin love life development here because she tells Hugh Jacks to fuck off. She makes out with Pez Pierce. She accepts a date with Ryan Murphy. And I think my point here that relates to the epigraph is that we get a really interesting insight from her about the different ways that men handle rejection. Mm-hmm. Which I think really fits with that theme of sort of different anatomists have different accounts. Yeah. And since the whole novel is kind of dealing with strike feeling rejected from the incident at the beginning, it's pretty important line, right? Yeah, I love that point. I wonder if that's something we can explore as we go through the section and compare this mm-hmm. theme of rejection, because it also extends to Gus as well in the whole incel thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, in many cases, these incels never even bothered to ask him. Yeah. They no. just get are furious that women aren't throwing themselves at them. But yeah, yeah. They, just, they take that as a rejection. Right. But the second line of the epigraph is basically saying that matters of the heart will vary depending on who you're talking to. And that fits beautifully with both the personal and the case. Mm-hmm. So with the personal, I'm focusing a lot on strikes heart. And depending on who you ask, you're going to get very different responses about where his heart is by Mm. all the people involved. So Strike himself, Robin, Madeline, maybe even Charlotte. They're all going to have different perspectives when it comes to his heart. I think that Madeline has sussed out where his heart really is by the middle of this part. You know, when she says, oh, sweet, it's like you're married, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas Robin doesn't realize that she has his heart and that he wants permanence Mm -hmm. with her she doesn't know that yet and strike is of course still denying the ventricles of his own heart and refusing to give an account of it so yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah i can tell we're going to be swooning a lot in this episode (laughs) yes there's so much shippy stuff in the back half of this book that i think we're going to be swooning all over the place this whole time yep so good Mm -hmm. swooning and thirsting that is us Yep. We should rename the podcast. Swoon and Thirst. And then, of course, it fits with the case where we've gotten so much negative information about Edie and the Ink Black Heart. But this is the first time we're getting to talk with someone who actually loved Edie. And Josh's view of her is one of love and sadness and regret. It's a whole new perspective. We also end up talking to pretty much her only family in this part. We talk to Grant or a strike mm-hmm. talks to Grant who disliked her. He rationalizes his actions so he doesn't have to feel guilty about mistreating mm-hmm. her. And we talk to Rachel, her cousin who never met her, but who loved her work and is with, racked with guilt over something she really shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting that we get these two contrasting views of her from the people that are technically should be the closest to her 
Well, that's a good epigraph. Yes, chapter 58. All right, so in this chapter, it's another chat chapter, and we have Morehouse and Paperwhite discussing what happened to Vile Petura. Okay, the epigraph is, Oh, shame, to utter the thought into flame, which burns at your heart. And that's A Curse for a Nation by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. As with a lot of the chat chapters where Paperwhite is involved, I think this epigraph reads differently once you know the twist. At first, it could seem like it's such a shame that the thought burning in Morehouse's heart is true, that his friend could be a murderer. But now I'm reading it from Gus's perspective, where it feels more like, what a shame that Morehouse has put it all together because now I have to kill him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess it could also be speaking to Morehouse that it's a shame that he uttered his thoughts to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. The whole chapter is a shame. Yeah. Let's the whole say that. The chapter is just, <laughs> just a big shame. No, I yeah. agree with all those angles. The poem itself, this is an interesting one. Elizabeth Barrett Browning originally wrote it as a condemnation of slavery in America. The writer in the poem is asked by an angel to write a curse against the nation across the sea. But the writer objects for three reasons. One, I'm bound by gratitude, by love and blood to brothers of mine across the sea who stretch out kindly hands to me. And she also objects because my heart is sore for my own land's sins. And to curse, choose men, for I, a woman, have only known how the heart melts and the tears run down. And for me... A lot of these reasons echo Morehouse's reasons for reluctance to speak his thought into flame or to take it to the police because he was brothers with enemy. He can't quite believe he did it. He himself feels guilty for being a part of this. He doesn't think the police will listen because of his disability. I just think it's interesting because after all of her objections, the speaker in the poem does write the curse just like Vcast decides to in the future making this plan with Paperwhite. Mm-hmm. Although in this case, the curse backfires on him pretty yeah. badly. But yeah, it is a shame. This whole chapter is just, why? Morehouse? I know. So in our last episode, we were talking about when we thought Anime decided to kill Morehouse. And I said that I wondered if we could pinpoint the moment. Mm-hmm. This chapter is the moment, I think. I agree. I think he may have had some vague thoughts about maybe killing Morehouse, that mm-hmm. it might become necessary. Because again, Morehouse knows who Gus really is. But this is 100% the moment where he makes the decision and starts seriously planning, I think. Yeah, I have no doubt, even if he was considering it before, that this is when he knows he has to kill him. I know there's been a lot of people saying they don't like the chat chapters, but once you appreciate what they're doing and you really understand that they're giving the insight into Gus, they're so good. Yeah, it's kind of like the Lang chapters, you know? Yeah, they It's no one's favorite chapters, but there's so much in them. That you yeah. can get from it. So this chapter opens with Morehouse opening up a chat with Paperwhite, who is furious that he didn't come to Comic-Con. In reality, I think that Gus was probably very pleased that Morehouse didn't go because mm-hmm. it means that he's still not ready to take this relationship to the real world. Mm-hmm. And that means that Gus still has the upper hand. Absolutely. I think Gus probably expected Morehouse to bottle it, so felt yeah. pretty safe. Yeah, yeah of course. Mm-hmm. It does make me wonder how Gus would have handled it if Morehouse did go. Ooh see Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting question i assume that he would have had paperwhite come up with a really good sounding excuse for not showing up 
to try and keep Morehouse on the hook. But I wonder if it would have worked. I think it would have worked because I bet it would have had something to do with her mom. Oh, I think that's kind of why he was doing that to get a lot of sympathy, but also it's a good excuse if he ever needed one. Yeah, that makes sense. He was setting that up beforehand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a classic catfish move. You get so much from watching catfish. (laughs) I've never watched catfish. Maybe I should. Seriously, when I worked for PI, I actually was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing that I learned on catfish. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Not from my actual job, but from watching catfish. I was like, yeah, I know how to do this now nice Mm -hmm. oh my gosh during this conversation between morehouse and paperwhite morehouse reveals that he's worried for the safety of paperwhite and the others in the game and then specifically mentions that it was vile patura that got pushed in front of the train paperwhite tells him that if he leaves the game he'll be next which first of all now i read that as a threat Mm -hmm. yeah but morehouse responds that he doesn't care i think that morehouse knows anime is dangerous but is determined to do the right thing But part of me can't help but wonder if Morehouse didn't want to believe that his friend could hurt him. Yeah, I think that deep down, this must be the case. I mean, your friend killing a woman that he's rationally hated for years and shoving an outright asshole in front of a train. That's one thing. Right. But believing, truly believing in your core that your friend, someone who's like a brother to you, would kill you? That must be hard harder to get a grip on some part of morehouse must think he's safer that he could talk to gus that gus wouldn't go so far as to kill him which of course makes what's coming at the end of this part even worse it really does i think one of the most awful things about morehouse's death is knowing what would have been going through his head the betrayal i guess you could say the same thing for irene as well on some level too yeah yeah i guess we could feel slightly more sympathetic for morehouse than for irene well obviously because he's dead and irene (laughs) is not but still and he's definitely much less annoying it's so hard not to laugh when janice is like well she annoys me a bit (laughs) (laughs) it's so horrific but at the same time it's funny While Morehouse is chatting with Paperwhite, he explains to her how he knows the anime planned to kill Vile Patura. And I have to say, this whole time I was rereading it, I just want to tell him to hush about absolutely everything that he yes. knows. Like, stop doing this. Stop doing this. I know. It. It's like reading him digging his own grave. And it's my first time reading this chapter. I was so excited for Morehouse and Paperwhite to team Same. up and go to the cops. Right? Yeah. But now reading it is, it is a masterclass in brutal, dramatic irony. Honest to God, they could use this book in schools to teach that technique because it hurts. It does, yeah. Yeah. Paperwhite's parts here are really interesting to read, knowing what we know about her identity as Gus, because her playing dumb and asking Morehouse to explain prior to the big reveal doesn't seem that suspicious on on a first read, because like you assume, they're friends. She mm-hmm. just wants to know, but knowing her, what her real identity is here and reading it, it just comes across as super suspicious. It's scary how good Gus is at this. I mean, I know he's written that way, but it's mm-hmm. still kind of fun to read, I guess, because he simultaneously gets Morehouse to tell him everything he knows, but he also convinces him to stay in the game and keeping Morehouse has been something he's been trying to do since the beginning. Yes. You know, Strike said in Troubled Blood that Janice is the best liar he'd ever met. I think Gus has to get the award for the best manipulator, right? Through a screen, at least. I don't know how successful he would be in the real world. He's not as successful. He needs the screen to do it. 
During this chapter, Morehouse tells Paperwhite that he's leaving the game and that she should too. Yeah, and then we get a whole section of Paperwhite giving Morehouse advice on how to act with Enemy. And I'm just like, Gus must have been laughing in the most horrible way oh. to see Morehouse act on this later. It's a little hard to read. It's fun to see what's really happening now. Mm -hmm. but it's so sad on the first read the ending of this chapter felt really hopeful to me did anybody else feel that way oh yeah totally it really did it seemed too early in the book for them to actually accomplish going to the police and giving a name mm -hmm. but i had hoped that at some point they would give some sort of tip that would be helpful on hindsight the fact that this is about halfway through the book should have really tipped me off that this was not going to work out yeah i know mm -hmm. Okay, are you guys ready for chapter 59? I am yeah, ready. Yeah, let's do it. It's one chapter closer to chapter 60. <laughs> one of the best chapters. Yeah. All right, so chapter 59. In this chapter, Strike spends the night with Madeline and takes calls from Dev, Katya, and Robin. All right, and the epigraph. Resentment is that long shadow on the lawn, indicative that suns go down. The notice to the startled grass that darkness is about to pass. And that is 16 by Emily Dickinson. I really like this because it's speaking of the promise of bad things to come, the little signs of the inevitable. To me, it makes me think of the relationship between Strike and Madeline. You know, this epigraph feels especially eerie when you take into consideration that the office is going to be bombed in around 10 chapters. You're totally right, Ken. I didn't even consider that this could be speaking to the anxiety that Strike <laughs> is feeling over the happening, learning Robin's <laughs> name. That's a much better and more accurate interpretation <laughs> than, than just Strike and Madeline. Yeah, hey, that's good. Hey, I think that both interpretations are really good. Strike is feeling that shadow all through this chapter. He's got mm -hmm. a sense of foreboding and ominous feeling, which is definitely related to the halvening. But also, when you don't think you can stand to spend a Sunday with a person you're dating, that is also a pretty ominous sign also this epigraph is actually the whole poem oh less emily dickinson for her brevity which means i have no extra context to add that's it <laughs> that's the poem it's that's great it. it is short yeah. and it is sweet short sweet and to the point mm -hmm. yeah this chapter opens with strike arriving slightly late to a date with madeline due to having to give a statement about what he saw on the tube station platform if there's ever a good reason to be late this is it. Definitely. Also, this is a long day. Mm -hmm. Omicron, the train incident, then oh this. Gosh. Wouldn't it be so much easier if Strike and Robin could just go home together? Mm -hmm. Someone should tell them. Somebody should tell them. Pat, Ilsa. They could find a way to relax together. Unwind. If only they could find a way to unwind together, Ken. Honest yeah. To God. Okay, so I'm sure that at least one of you because this book is so jam-packed full of restaurants and pubs mm. and all of that kind of stuff but did anybody else check out the restaurant that strike and madeline go to i mean of course we did <laughs> yeah <laughs> it looks like a nice place i'm mostly interested in the menu turkish food is absolutely delicious i wonder if strike because it says he's fond of turkish i wonder if he got a taste for it when he was stationed in cyprus because that's where he was when he found Lang's wife being abused, right? Mm -hmm. This is making me so hungry. I want some hungry I know. <laughs> what are the problems with I these want a books? Kebab. They make me hungry and thirsty. I know. Weird. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they make me crave a cigarette and I quit so many years ago. Oh. I'm like, God damn it. Stop it. Strike. At least by the end of this book, you won't have to deal with him smoking yes. anymore. Yes. That'll be good. But seriously, is anyone else happy that Strike is finally allowed to eat? Uh, because... Thank God. 
yeah i guess that not starving him to death is part of madeline being on her best behavior here after the whole jewelry. maybe yeah. she noticed the uh stomach growling while they were trying to have sex <laughs> and was like oh maybe <laughs> i know you're joking but you're actually right i bet having dinner is one of the things she's doing to make up for her behavior oh. which would prove that the never eating is kind of a conscious selfish choice that's awful mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But it did make me laugh that the one time that he's actually about to have a hearty meal, as he says, with Madeline, it's ruined by the anxiety he starts to feel. The man literally cannot catch a break. Ruining a a meal meal of Turkish food, especially, it's not right. There's a line here that says that Madeline was both fascinated and alarmed by the fact that he'd been mere feet from what he believed to have been attempted murder and return to the subject incessantly through two courses. This instantly reminded me of a line in Silkworm where he's having dinner with Nina that says, there were always women who were attracted by the soldier, the policeman. They experienced a vicarious thrill, a voluptuous appreciation at the violence a man might have seen or perpetrated. Other women were repelled. Nina, he suspected, had been one of the former, but now that the reality of cruelty, sadism, and sickness had been forced on her, she was discovering that she might, after all, belong in the second camp. So I was reminded of this line because it seems like Madeline is experiencing a bit of a vicarious thrill, and I don't blame her for this at all. I, too, would probably want to talk about it and ask lots of questions, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because as we've been going through this book, we've made a lot of connections from Madeline to Charlotte but also to Lorelai, some to Ellen. And now this one has reminded me of Nina. If we're right in our thinking that he is not going to pursue another dead-end relationship, I almost wonder if there are bits of Madeline that reflect the things in his prior relationships that haven't worked out. And she's sort of a culmination of everything. Yeah, I really like that idea. And also with regard to the whole dead-end relationship thing, honestly, Mm -hmm. from your mouth, to Joe's ears and her keyboard because mm-hmm. like god I'm so done I'm <laughs> hopefully in Blackheart is the last book where we have to read about strike and yeah any woman aside from Robin I'm not going to say I'm certain but I do think it's really possible now I really yeah. do I think so too although I thought that after troubled blood so. I know that's exactly why I'm saying I'm not saying I'm certain yeah like, let, let's hope with that watershed moment that that's what that means exactly that's why it makes me think yeah. but I am I am kind of curious about keeping an eye on this I guess we could come back to this after the running grave and when we'll know if that's true or not you know what I love about this that you've picked out it's the unspoken comparison to Robin by which I mean she's in neither of these camps although yeah. maybe once she might have been at this point she's experienced the violence right alongside of him and even more so sometimes she has an incredibly personal knowledge of this kind of violence and her reaction is the exact same as his their instinct is to investigate that violence and to set the world right again i'm now seeing this line with nina in a way that i hadn't before which is just more setting up for a future relationship with robin yeah here's something else that i noticed the book also says that in addition to being worried about the possible consequences Strike is also distressed about what he had seen. And I don't think that I had really noticed this before, that he's feeling distressed because of witnessing something so awful. I had never noticed this either. I mean, either. And I like it because he's dealt with a lot of violence and murder, 
but he mm-hmm. hasn't become jaded. He still yeah. feels the impact of these crimes. He's still affected by them. Yeah, it's endearing. We find out that Oliver Peach was true to his word and he deleted his Al Gazard Twitter account when Strike goes to look up the account and then finds that it's been deleted. Yeah, I mean, I believe that he was going to do this since Thurzaz getting arrested scared them so much. But good for Strike for remembering the name and putting it all together with the rune. Yeah, really. He's so smart. He's mm. just so smart, you guys. I know. <laughs> I love the line that says, when Madeline finally made a trip to the ladies. Because Finally. Finally. I'm laughing at the idea of Strike being so impatient waiting for her to leave on this mm-hmm. night. Because she probably takes fewer trips when she's not drinking. Definitely. <laughs> so he expected yeah. her to go away, and she's not. Um, And then when she does, rushing to pull out his phone and solve crime. See? Yeah. If he was eating dinner with Robin, he wouldn't have to wait because she'd already have her phone out Googling this shit or would want to hear what he's his results. They would both be sitting there like crime. The waiter's like, can I take your order, please? And they're like, no, crime. Crime. Solving crime. Can they just realize they're perfect for each other already? I mean, my God. Honestly. Seriously. Come on. But there's this other line that I also love. She was so brave, said Madeline. She was drinking only fizzy water tonight and seemed determined to be generous to his partner. First, I like Strike's response when he says that's one word for it because (laughs) he's still very much fighting his anxiety over this whole thing. He says it darkly, which I I absolutely love. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I just do. Just the image of him scowling Mm -hmm. and and glowering about Robin (laughs) being a hero. He's like... Yeah, that's one word for it. I like it. But this whole sentence about not drinking and being generous to Robin says a lot to me about Madeline trying to make up for her behavior. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is it's just a temporary change. It's not real. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. she's she's trying hard to give this. I'm a changed woman. It's my new Mm -hmm. life that I've turned over performance. But it takes an exceptional person to really change who they are. Exceptional, yeah. Okay, so there's coverage on the news of what happened at the tube station, and there's a bit here where Strike reviews the CCTV stills that were shown on the news. The way it describes this, first, these pictures are being released by the time they get back to Madeline's house, which somehow increases the anxiety and tension for me that it's happening now as he's sitting there and can't do anything about it. He doesn't know how bad it's going to be, you know, and then When he keeps pausing Madeline's TV to inspect the footage, this feels like real legit anxiety. He's really nervous about this. He is. And it's interesting that he pauses to scrutinize the images of Anami, but it is the moment where Robin jumps on the tracks that gets the multiple rewindings. So that's what he's anxious about. Yeah, of course. Have we ever seen him like this before? Not that I can think of. I guess the only other time that comes to mind would be the Richies. I guess now that he has the whole agency, he's responsible for more people, right? He's responsible for his subcontractors, for Pat. Yeah. He feels responsible for Robin. He has more to lose, and that's why the anxiety hits harder the later it goes on, right? Not just because he's in love with Robin. Right, of course. Yeah. That's right. part of it, obviously. <laughs> I think the only thing that vaguely reminds me of this is after Robin is attacked in Career of Evil, like while while they're still on the phone and he's like, oh, you know, you hear me, you fucker. Like, you know, when it's clear that she's been attacked and like he's yelling at Lang. Yeah, that's probably the closest uh, I can think of hearing his anxiety manifesting like that. That was more terror. But on another note, am I the only one who really likes Mo? from what we learned about him he's like he's a literal superman he's just a superman he's a hero he's jumping down on train tracks he sounds like a cutie i mean honestly i didn't really give this guy much thought he seems like a nice guy and brave but that's about it 
sometimes I'll just seize on a tiny yeah. thing and then my imagination will construct a whole You made a whole backstory for Mo. Yeah, and I like them. <laughs> so we mentioned that Strike is watching the CCTV footage that's on the news. And I believe there's this press conference, right, with the chief superintendent. And he says that the assailant was believed to have gotten onto the train where they ducked out of sight among the other standing passengers and pulled off the Batman mask beneath which they were wearing a full head and neck latex mask which sounds really hot by the way oh that sounds like that would be horrifying to wear for long periods of time we talked a lot about people losing their masks in the last episode and i kind of like gus taking off this batman mask only to reveal something completely blank because in the book the first mask has come down where we know it's anime who committed this crime and likely the one against edie and josh But there's still this extra mask concealing his identity because we haven't solved the mystery of who Anime is. It's kind of cool how it's symbolizing where we're at in the book, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. It's got masks under masks. It's it's maskception. It is maskception. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what it is. Uh, My contributions are so valuable. (laughs) I like it. Maskception, important liquids. It's great. That was important. So I suspect that this next topic that I'm about to bring up is going to just, we're just going to honestly make a dive bomb right into Strike Thirstland. I don't know what you're talking about, Ken. I have no thoughts. No, you definitely don't have any thoughts about Strike, his sex life, or his penis. No, (laughs) definitely not. Never even thought about those things. No, no, never. So Strike is reminded of Charlotte when he and Madeline have sex that night. And it says that Strike was again reminded of Charlotte, whose libido had generally been stimulated by drama and conflict, although he suspected Madeline's added demonstrativeness lay more in a desire to obliterate the memory of the row at her launch. As she was sober, she didn't fall asleep immediately afterwards, but continued to discuss what had happened at the station, apparently in the belief that this would please Strike by showing an interest in his working day. This is going to be one of those times where the difference with Robin is going to be so obvious to us because it's going to be so natural for them to talk about their day. Right. You know, I bet the only time he maybe had that was with Tracy. Yeah, he probably did, but they didn't have the same. Obviously, they weren't in love. That's something I'd like to know a lot more about i want to know more about tracy too but to get back on the topic mm-hmm. listen i'm listening i'm here <laughs> here for this <laughs> i'm just saying uh-huh. if at some point robin and strike don't have a moment of inspiration about a case and then immediately share it with the other person during sex or i guess i'll settle for a while cuddling and falling asleep after sex mm-hmm. then what the hell is this all for <laughs> mm-hmm. right Literally. Like, what's the point? It might be just a really weird thing mm-hmm. that's on my personal list of requests, but I want it to happen. I don't think that's weird at all because we've Thank been you. seeing this buildup since the first book where he has trouble with relationships because of his job. Yeah. I think it's an important thing. Plus, it means we get to read a sex scene of them interrupted mm-hmm. by emergency. Most important thing. Yeah. Yep. Priorities. <laughs> just had to give that aside. So here comes the most clinically described blowjob in the history of forever. And, <laughs> and the climax of which is still not enough to relieve poor strikes anxiety. Poor thing. Yeah. I thought it was super clinical, too. I literally had it in my notes. Let's hope that when we get to Strike and Robin's sex scene, the narration is a bit less clinical. Because the thing is, there is zero passion or real affection in the narration of what's going on in Strike's head here. It is very detached, which obviously makes sense for of what's course. going on at this yeah. point. I just think it sounds really clinical because the word penis is just like... <laughs> 
viciously <laughs> unsexy viciously <laughs> aggressively yeah. unsexy it is it's very clinical I think that you're right that it was done purposely because of the lack of emotional connection because there have been much better descriptions in previous books the one that kind of lives rent free in my mind is from Career of Evil. Oh, I think I know the one that you're thinking it's about. It's so wonderfully done because it's really subtle, but it's also sexy at the same time. Yeah, I think you know what I mean. It's the one with Ellen where it says her alabaster skin faintly damp under his mouth. That's a great line. Yes, it's such a good one. That is the kind of description I want when we get to Strike and Robin. Same. Thanks again for keeping the doctors recommend a daily level of thirst right where it's supposed to be you're welcome i do what i can we thank you for your service I'm here for the people <laughs> not to stay on this subject but this is yet another time that calls back to lethal white for me because this a blowjob was mentioned in lethal white as well when he's having that imaginary argument with lucy about lorelei and the you could try not accepting tea and blowjobs or whatever the line is. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that's the line. Most definitely. Although I guess he's graduated to coffee and blowjobs now. Maybe that is a symbol that he's about to wake up. Coffee has more caffeine, I guess. Is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah, okay. coffee <laughs> is like waking up. Well, you know, the best part of waking up. <laughs> now you're just making me think of that creepy Folgers incest commercial. <laughs> oh my God. I do have another thought about this but i don't know if it's too much man joe mentioned strikes penis one time and all of a sudden you're very chatty it's just that as we've discussed this is the second time it's mentioned that he's on the receiving end of this but i don't think it's ever been described the other way around and in my imagination he's not the kind of guy who would just mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. on the receiving end, if you know what I mean. He's a generous mm -hmm. guy. He does the job and does it well. Indeed. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that I hope one day that it could be canon and not just how I picture it in my yeah. head. Oh my God, right? Please and thank or the you. the way I write it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that you are 100% right. And I'm sure that all of our listeners are shocked that I'm saying that. I feel like if you were a selfish lover, we would have probably heard about it. I mean, if... Anybody was going to bring up in an argument, hey, not only are you emotionally unavailable, but you know, you can't even get me off. <laughs> I feel like that would have come out at some point. If yeah. anything, Matthew seems like the sort of man to not reciprocate. Well, mm -hmm. I feel like that's canon from that line in Troubled Blood where Robin thinks about having to fake it all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Back to the strike only ever receiving. That line I mentioned earlier with Ellen, that's not that is it hold on let me get the line this is obviously very important mm -hmm. obviously this is the most important analysis obviously. yes that we've ever done okay so it says the memory of certain erotic sights and sounds her alabaster skin faintly damp under his mouth her pale lips wide in a moan added savor to the tang of nicotine. I would really love to believe that because honestly, it seems much more satisfying to relive while you're enjoying a cigarette than just, you know, kissing your way down somebody's body. I mean, oh my God. What are you, oh my Godding about? Just the level of this episode is going to be our rating. I know people are listening, like, <laughs> what is happening? What the fuck is happening? We're sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Shrike, my mind is blown right now. Uh, I see what you did there. God, you too. <laughs> <laughs> okay as much as i love this, this is the reason why we made yeah. this podcast oh, <laughs> and then you sucked me into it without even warning you knew what you're getting into so uh, as much as i love this i personally do think that that particular line is about general skin being slightly damp from sweat 
mostly because if we're going to be clinical, which obviously we got to be okay, if we're talking about the color of of skin, even a pale woman's genitalia, it's not going to be alabaster. Right. I get it. Mm -hmm. But having said that, I'm still 100% on board the Corbin Strike cunning linguist train. So (laughs) (laughs) canon this away. And he's got this huge line of women who are really desperate to hang on to him, even with all of his annoying emotional constipation. So in all the sexy talk, that's the least sexy thing you could have said. <laughs> yeah. Boner killer. But I got to assume that that's primarily because he's absolutely amazing in bed or because he washes the dishes. They're both sexy. I totally get what you're saying. I always imagined that her skin was damp from his mouth. Yeah, that makes sense. I also always imagined that it was her stomach for some reason. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm thinking there's no reason he wasn't on his way. Mm-hmm. Head cannon accepted. Jane could be her thighs. Maybe he's on his way back up. Makes <laughs> okay. sense. They'd be damp. You know. <laughs> I'm just gonna show myself out at this point. Oh man. Yeah. Here. Wow. Joe saw and liked the thirsty tweets, and we have taken it to Too a new level, <laughs> new heights. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I'm gonna need a moment to recover from that. I don't know right. how to move on. Are we ridiculous? Maybe just a little bit. Anyway, one day I would like that to be handed. It's just yes. a request that I'm putting out there. We don't ask for much. We really don't. Anyway, I suppose there is one other thing that we could talk about here. And that's a theory that's been going around for a while. Oh, God. I feel like I know which one you're about to bring up. I guess we should actually talk about it instead of just bleeping it out or (laughs) ignoring it like we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Either of you feel free to jump in here and correct me. But my understanding is that there is a theory that Madeline is pregnant and trying to tell Strike via the messages that he doesn't read in the rest of the book, the text and the card. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it started out as theorizing that she basically (laughs) (laughs) stole his sperm from this blowjob that we just talked about. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's basically the theory that she's pregnant and trying to tell him. Although the more rational side of this argues that it's just a normal accidental pregnancy without the whole semen heist. <laughs> <laughs> that would seem a little bit more likely to me. I don't yeah. even know how one steals sperm without the other person <laughs> being aware. Yeah. Does she have like a vial that she just conjures <laughs> up? Like she's Hermione. Like just right? chipmunks it in her cheeks to, and rushes to the... <laughs> she has to excuse herself like... <laughs> oh my God. You know, Strike is not exactly like blissed out by this whole experience. I mean, he sounds like he's still pretty lucid and whatnot. I feel like he would have noticed. There's no blowjob that's that good that you don't notice if someone's stealing your sperm. No. I'm not a man, but I have no. to assume. Yeah. Let's call it unlikely at best, that aspect yeah, of that it. That is our general response to this theory. Unlikely yeah. at unlikely best. Unlikely at best. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this theory. It seems mm-hmm. extremely unlikely to me. It's kind of the reason I've been able to pretty much ignore it for the last nine or so months, because I just think it's that unlikely that I'm not really putting any energy into it. I definitely agree. Based on a number of factors, mm-hmm. scientifically, I can enumerate them if you'd like. Please, yeah, I will go for a point number one uh-huh. i think that it is unlike strike to be careless about wrapping it up absolutely if the man wasn't being careful about protection i have to believe he'd have had at least a scare before now if not have mm-hmm. actually gotten someone pregnant 
And the only one we've had was Charlotte. And he deduced that she was lying because it literally wasn't possible based on dates. Yeah. I think that Strike uses the condoms religiously. I really I do. Agree. And is also fully aware of how babies are made and doesn't want one. Mm-hmm. And as we said, the whole semen stealing is absolute nonsense. I 100% agree. I have always imagined that he was extra, extra careful. And I know that accidents happen, but they do. I agree. I've always thought of him that he would be very careful. Anyway, point number two. Go for it. So if Madeline conceived the night before, by the end of the book, she would have been six weeks pregnant based Mm -hmm. on the timeline when she sends that final text to strike the one he deletes and then blocks her she would have only been like four weeks and a Mm -hmm. couple days pregnant and this is going by the traditional date of your last period calculation assuming she has a pretty average cycle and ovulated around may 23rd right which to me seems a bit early to have tested and known not impossible but Lindsay, you're the one who's had kids what do you think about this point yeah when you say not impossible usually you only know if you are looking for it yeah but you're absolutely right i know that you basically said this but i want to re-emphasize that being four weeks pregnant is only two weeks from conception and that's mm-hmm. right around the time she texts him and we did use the strike fans timeline to check our dates on this yeah most women do not know that they're pregnant this early It just seems so unlikely to me that that's what that text was. Point number three. And this is in regards to that card at the end of the book that people Uh said she was trying to tell him again. Listen, Mm -hmm. Lucy is 100% the one who put the card from Madeline on Strike's hospital table. Yeah. If she did that, which she did, she would 1000% have read it. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. If Madeline had said she was pregnant in it, do you think Lucy wouldn't have immediately told Strike? I've never thought about that, but you are absolutely right. That mm-hmm. more than actual science is the <laughs> most convincing part of this argument yeah. against yeah. it. Absolutely. Hormone levels and dates are fuzzy, but Lucy's nosiness into her brother's life is as certain as death and taxes. Yeah. But anyway, my last point, a less technical point, sure. is ultimately I just don't believe that an unplanned pregnancy with a girlfriend who isn't Robin is where Strike's story is headed. Yeah. I just don't see that as the trajectory. No, I completely agree. I don't think it fits with the story we're being told of healing and how they mm-hmm. make their way to each other. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it either. It seems like that would have been like a cliffhanger if it was going to be introduced. It just doesn't seem likely. The best version of this that I've seen came from a listener, Sharon, who sent us an email last week regarding the Medea in Athens poem, which is used for two epigraphs, so chapter 44 and chapter 51. Mm -hmm. She argued that Medea is reflective of Madeline and said, there is a theory that Madeline's messages to strike that he didn't read were about her being pregnant. So from the story parallel, it's possible that Madeline was pregnant and she kills her sons like Medea, meaning she gets an abortion. I do think that this is the best version of this theory because as we've talked about, there are a lot of parallels to be made between Madeline and Charlotte, and it would be the ultimate parallel to have Madeline lose or abort his child, just like Charlotte maybe did in Cuckoo's Mm -hmm. Calling. This is the only way I've seen this theory presented where the pregnancy has already ended, and that doesn't seem as unbelievable to me. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of love the idea thank you sharon of a madeline medea parallel it makes a lot of sense to me madeline losing a pregnancy or having to end a pregnancy and holding a grudge against strike is something i could see happening especially with the anger she's thrown at him already throughout this book the reason why i would argue against this medea in athens thing from sharon though is one neither chapter with those epigraphs or madeline chapters Mm -hmm. and that says a lot to me 
but also because I think that if it were to happen, kind of like you were just saying, Ken, it would have happened in the ink black heart. I've been arguing that the purpose of Madeline was to show repeat patterns in his behavior and to break him down. And at the end of the book, he has his watershed moment, right? So I don't see what the purpose would be if he's already opened his eyes at the end. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's possible that his eyes aren't as opened as, as we want them to be, but yeah. I just don't see Madeline coming back. We have never had a girlfriend that's lasted longer than one book, No. Mm-hmm. which by the way, bodes well for us with Murphy, right? <laughs> it does. Um, <laughs> that's another reason I'm not worried. Yeah. So I just, in the same way that I don't think we'll hear from the happening again, I just don't think that we're going to see Madeline again. You know what? I agree on every single count. I mean, I never thought a single blowjob would create so much discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we are a very intense style fandom. <laughs> I've also never felt like I've said the words blowjob so much as I have in the last 30 The amount minutes. of times <laughs> I've said the word semen in the past hour <laughs> is more than the rest of my life all yeah, together. I so know. thank you for that. <laughs> okay, Ken, take us out of this. Okay, so we have strike thinking about spending time with Madeline and there are some interesting conclusions we can draw from this next bit that I'm about to read. It was Sunday. Madeline was evidently expecting to spend the entire day with him, which he didn't think he could stand. While knowing perfectly well that there was nothing he could do to head off the potential threat from the happening, having to meet an implicit demand for reassurance that he'd entirely forgiven Madeline was forcing his stress levels higher than he thought reasonable on what was supposed to be a day off. This shows to me that this is the evidence of the stress that's making Strike's face twitch later in the next few chapters. If someone's presence makes my face start twitching, I'm out of there. (laughs) Sometimes this man drives me crazy. Surely he's reached the tipping point where it would be less stressful for him to just break up with her. Yeah, okay, there would be a scene. She'd yell, cry, whatever. He could just walk away and block her. I know. Why, Strike? Mm -hmm. Why are you like this? And don't answer that. I know why he's like this. We've gone over it. I'm shaking my head at him. Old man yelling at clouds, etc. I think we all are. Yes. Yep. That's a mood for this book. Yeah. I mean, the way that Strike describes this wanting to leave makes me want to lovingly smack him a bit. (laughs) If he didn't think he could stand to spend the day with her, that's a very strong feeling. It is. But I kind of love it because who does he spend the day with? Mm-hmm. Could he stand to spend the entire day with and every day for the rest of his life with? Oh my God. Oh, okay. So we just like went down a slide into Swoonville. We were there. <laughs> that was instant. But getting off the slide, uh-huh. I too, Lindsay, want to lovingly smack him. I guess he really has just internalized this idea that relationships equals suffering. The idea that relationships can bring a lot of positive stuff to your life, it seems kind of unfathomable to him his realizations about love and robin are going to be i don't know the best thing i've ever read it's going to be amazing also though i'm so glad that when robin does see him later that he's not carrying his bag with him Mm -hmm. because she would have known that he would with madeline Mm -hmm. and robin also being a very observant 
protective. Not observative. Observant and observative. <laughs> Knows that that means he's likely had sex. And that is something that's been bothering her since career of evil. That's a long time. Four or five years she's been bothered by the thought of him having sex with another woman. That's canon, baby. I'm just glad he didn't have that so that the moment wasn't, you know, ruined. Yeah. Now, next comes an underrated line, in my opinion. He told himself what he craved was the quiet and peace of his attic flat. But in fact, he was feeling a strong desire to contact Robin without having any particular reason to do so. Yeah, this took me right back to the beginning of Trouble Blood. But I also agree with you that it's underrated because I think you could look at this from a much broader perspective. It's not just that in this moment, he's trying to convince himself he wants solitude more than he wants Robin. He's trying to convince himself of that regarding his whole life. Yes, Mm -hmm. he's trying to pretend that he wants to be alone in his attic. But he doesn't actually want that. No, and I don't think he not. can lie to himself much longer. How he behaves now that his eyes are opened is probably the thing I'm most looking forward to reading in The Running Brave. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be grumpy, but then it's going to be, oh my God. Okay. It's the internal thoughts. His outward expression yeah. is going to maybe be grumpy, but internally it's going to be real good. Oh, yes. Oh my god. Having missed a call from Dev while he was showering, Strike calls him back and discovers that he has an update on Jago Ross. And there's another funny line here where it just kind of points to what we've been talking about with him not wanting to spend time with Madeline, kind of realizing that he doesn't really want to spend long periods of time with her. That he doesn't actually like her. Yeah, exactly. The (laughs) sex is pretty much the only thing he likes about this relationship. Oh, Strike. The line goes, as almost anything was preferable to join Madeline for a discussion of how they were going to spend the fine spring morning. He made a sincere show of regret, (laughs) told her he'd need to ring Dev back, and retreated into the bedroom to do so. Uh, This line and so many others in this chapter are half funny, half annoying at how badly he wants to escape. Like when he pretends to be regretful and arranges his space, that made me laugh, but also, come on, my boy. uh... (laughs) Come on, dude. It makes me think about how much Robin was faking and lying with Matthew near the end. Yeah. These two, are, they are avoidance peas in the bad relationship pods. Yeah. Two of them. And they need to be with each other and stop it with this nonsense. I'm sure I've already pointed out this parallel with Lethal White, but both Strike and Robin lie to themselves that they're trying and giving it a real chance. And that's a yeah. pretty big parallel to me a huge parallel because they're both full of shit yeah absolutely <laughs> it's easier to not see it with robin because she was with matthew the entire time we've known her yeah and it's more understandable about why she stays with him but it's true for both of them so during this conversation with dev we get a description of strikes attire or mm-hmm. lack thereof and i just <laughs> i just want to say thank you to joe personally for the addition of another scene with strike in a t-shirt and boxer shorts we really appreciate it <laughs> i like reading about it we do that's sincere but the actual phone call is interesting as well because jago seriously is the absolute worst but i like the little insight we get onto dev's work because he's doing a good job also i like the bit where strike said excellent and then i mean because a, it definitely reminds me of a bit where he and Robin had a similar conversation where one said excellent and then was like, not excellent that he's doing the thing, obviously, but I can't remember which book it's in. I think the part that you're thinking about is in Lethal White and it's at the very end where it talks about Barkley finding Dodgy Doc going in and out of a hotel with a teenager. Yes. And then Robin says, oh yeah, that's great. And then tries to backtrack. Oh. Of course it's Lethal White. But also 
Dev's response to this, where he sounds pensive and calls Drago a total fucking bastard, it's just good to hear it because that moment of reluctance near the beginning when Strike came to him, Dev was yeah. worried about a Patterson 2.0 situation. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing now he is 100% down for getting whatever dirt on Ross is needed. Yeah. Okay. So after Strike's phone call with Dev, he gets a phone call from Katya with an update on Josh. He should be well enough to speak within the next week. I was a little suspicious of Katya wanting to be there because Mm -hmm. it reminded me of how Janice wanted to be there when Irene was interviewed. But I guess in Katya's case, it's really her being so overprotective. I suspected Katya so much all book and stuff like this is probably why. Yeah. Once Strike has managed to escape Madeline's place, you can just tell that he's happy to have a pretext to call Robin. It says at last he was free. It's so dramatic. I can't be the (laughs) only one screaming at him for being an idiot. Believe me, you're not the only one. He is being a real muckfuck in this chapter. Being a real muckfuck. He really (laughs) is. (laughs) While Strike's on the phone with Robin, he can immediately tell that something is wrong. I love thinking about that line from Troubled Blood where it talks about how happy she was no matter the circumstances to see strike's name light up her phone because it tells me that even in this moment where she's crying and stressed and all alone that his call has lifted her spirits and made her happy why would you tell me this do you want me to live through this recording or not apparently not During this conversation that Strike and Robin have, Robin tells him that her dad has had a heart episode and is going to have to go to the hospital. And Mm. God, I have to say, this makes me worried that Robin's dad might have another one in the future that might be deadly. I too am very worried about that. I think a lot of people are worried about Robin's dad. I don't know what I think, to be honest, but if you're right, it could be another way the epigraph applies to the small signs of something bad to come oh my god i hadn't even realized that but you're right okay i'm even more worried now sorry although if we get a scene of strike comforting robin and being there for her i'm kind of okay with ruthlessly sacrificing michael to get it and before (laughs) you listeners come at me he is a fictional character he's not actually dying strike has at this point lost two of his parents He understands probably better than most people what it's like. I'll be there for Robin. Oh my God. Okay. Anyway, I hope these little callbacks to Lethal White aren't getting to be too much. But Mm -hmm. this chapter where their call is abruptly ended before he just shows up when she needs him the most, it definitely reminds me of Lethal White where she asks what hospital Jack is in, abruptly hangs up, and then just shows up for him. You know, the whole scene feels like a mirror of that one it absolutely is what a good catch and i was yelling at my book at this point screaming for strike to go to her i was just like go to her please yeah (laughs) the only way i could possibly love this more is if he had told madeline that he was leaving to help robin because that would have been a true reflection of lethal white where matthew was all mad and they could have just broken up god damn it straight if he hadn't escaped already would he have said because it is a pretty good reason to leave to go help her right but i guess the i guess the only risk would have been madeline in a horrible attempt to be helpful offers to go too oh my god can you imagine yeah oh i'm having anxiety just thinking about it (laughs) maybe her face would have started twitching mine would have i think all right should we go to chapter 60 one of the best chapters are we gonna fight over who gets to read the epigraph (laughs) (laughs) 
So in chapter 60, Robin's father is taken into the hospital and Strike helps Robin move into her new flat. I think, Kenzie, you would be next in the reading epigraph thing. So you go ahead. I feel so blessed. (laughs) (laughs) I love being blessed. (laughs) Right? Okay, so the epigraph for chapter 60. Oh, give me the friend from whose warm, faithful breast the sigh breathes responsive to mine. And that is A Faithful Friend is the Medicine of Life by Mary Teague. I love this epigraph so much. It just makes me feel warm and fuzzy, like deep in my soul. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about it other than endless swooning. (laughs) Aren't epigraphs that are about their friendship just like the best? They are the best. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll say that I love the second line, the sigh breathes responsive to mine, because for Mm. me, it reflects Strike being responsive to Robin's needs and being there for her. And that doing that is as easy as breathing for them. Oh my god. Uh, and the title is also fantastic. So a faithful friend is the medicine of life. That's exactly what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to tell you, it took me so long to do the notes for this chapter because I had to keep stopping to just yeah. melt into a puddle of shipper goo. That was just my constant state yes. trying to yeah. make sense of this. Yeah. I mean, big same. How does one even analyze this epigraph beyond just swooning? Yeah. I guess what I love about this is that it emphasizes their friendship beyond anything mm-hmm. else. They have that strong foundation. They are best friends. Now we know they're in love with each other. That friendship itself is so so important to both of them but before we get into this chapter i have something i want to share because i just realized the other day my friend lou chris monaco on twitter tweeting those you know those on this day and strike tweets yeah i love those yeah i love those this chapter where he helps her move and the whiskey night from troubled blood take place on the same day (gasps) one year apart may 24th i don't think i realized that it's the same day and i'm like so what the hell is gonna happen on may 24th in book seven or book eight like ah. this is their day of big things it's their day of big Ooh. things what is the date that's on the ticket stub may 17th may 17th on her Isn't website it? okay yeah. well may is a good month for them which is a shame because if it was may 20 if it was may 24th I would i'd lose my mind, mind. yeah <laughs> Oh my god it's happening <laughs> yeah oh anyway i just wanted to share that yeah that's a good little tidbit to mm-hmm. keep in mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the beginning of this chapter sees robin moving her stuff from her storage unit into the land rover and i just have to say that i hope that this person who's giving robin a hard time yeah. about moving the land rover because it's in their way mm-hmm. steps on like a whole field's worth of large and very pointy Legos. Because, like, what an <laughs> asshole. Seriously. That's quite the curse there, Ken's. Legos are no joke. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, I wish that Strike had shown up at the storage place just to terrify <sighs> that guy. I mean, I know that logistically it makes no sense, but, like, for me, emotionally and thirstfully, yeah. I-, I needed it. We would have had that little step forward. Oh, I love that when he does that. And he would have said something like, don't talk to her. Yeah. Or like, fuck off with your van. Yeah. This part where it mentions the sound of Strike's voice on the phone making her cry, just, ah, my heart. Yeah, it's gorgeous. The sound of his voice, the man she's in love with, makes her cry or almost cry. I like to imagine that it's because he's a comfort to her, but also because her defenses are lowered. The longing and the heartache and the love that she feels when she hears his voice are heightened. He's been so good at shutting all of those things down this whole book, but she can't right now because of how 
emotional she is about her dad and being all alone. It's really good. Do you ever feel guilty about making me cry, Lindsay? <laughs> Do you? Because you know what? You should be. I actually I'm don't. Having emotions. No. Well, you should. I'm sorry, but it's true though. And now for the part that I know we've been looking forward to discussing for ages. Yeah. So Robin is here. She's on the verge of tears, having to postpone her sadness all day. And then she arrives at her flat and then she sees Strike there with this potted plant and a bunch of bags of shopping. I love the way that she writes Robin's emotions here, starting out as a little gasp of laughter that turns immediately to a sob. So good. But again, Both Strike and Robin cry in these moments where they show up for each other. God, yes, this is such a good mirror of that scene. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? All of these lethal white parallels. I know we've talked about them emphasizing that Strike's patterns of bad behavior are all coming home to roost, as it were. But this one is the good between the two of them returned as well. Robin was there for Strike at his low point, and now when he's really hitting rock bottom, he's showing up for her. She's the person he's choosing to happily spend his limited time and energy with. She's the one he's lifting heavy shit for, even though he just got off crutches. Mm. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm spiraling. (laughs) Pull me back. (laughs) But you're right, though, because in the midst of all these negative parallels, there are the good ones showing Strike and Robin's relationship with each other. Yeah, they're still showing patterns of behavior, but they're good patterns. So this next part just makes me swoon a little on the (laughs) inside. She felt like flinging her arms around Strike's neck, but the thought of Madeline, her resolve to fight any feelings for a partner stronger than friendship and an awareness that she was very sweaty dissuaded her. Instead, she leaned back against the Land Rover, wiping her eyes with her sleeve. Mm -hmm. I understand why she didn't, but God, I wish we could have read that. (laughs) I know. In our last episode, Pools, you talked about wishing Strike had hugged her after the train incident. Mm. For me, this is where I wish they would have hugged. Well, let's be honest. I wish they would hug in every single chapter, but (laughs) here especially. Yes. I also very much wish that she had hugged him. I feel like it would have made a difference somehow. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there would have been a moment and Strike could have had his revelation sooner. I just want to tell Robin, he doesn't care if you're sweaty. Hug him. Not at all. I was talking to Anna Kier about this and she was like, he'd like the pheromones. What are you talking about? (laughs) He likes the damp skin. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it's really a contrast to the beginning of the book, though, when she does just freely hug him. Mm, And fucking Madeline is the difference there. I am raging at strike right now. God damn it. It's funny because you were his biggest defender over Madeline in the beginning. (laughs) You were like, what was he supposed to do? Yeah. But I get it. You can feel both. I feel both. I do feel both. We all feel both. I'm a complex person. I feel many things at the same time. Of course. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. The way that Strike takes care of Robin here in this practical, no fuss sort of way, just making sure she has something to eat, putting on a kettle on for tea. It's just really lovely. And honestly, it reminds me of the same way that Robin takes care of him. I feel like this is Strike without all the BS that floats around in his head. You know, he's completely allowed himself to be there for Robin. He didn't second guess himself, didn't wonder if it's a bad idea to just show up at her place. He just let himself be her best friend. I just think he is damn near perfect in this chapter. Mm -hmm. If I didn't already love him, 
this would be the moment I'm here for this chapter. This is one of my favorite Shrek moments ever too. Mm -hmm. It really fits with him as this man of action, a guy who's great at showing up when there's a task to be done. And if that emergency you need him, he's going to be there. I love it. Oh boy. I bet it does not help Robin's feelings for him. Mm -mm. I know she thinks about how his care for Josh didn't help her not be in love with him, but I have to imagine she have similar thoughts about his care for her. She had to have fallen asleep at night thinking about this. Oh, man speaking of cute parts okay uh-huh. robin asked strike how he even knew her address and yeah. he said that she had shown him weeks ago and it says here this evidence that strike wasn't as oblivious or inconsiderate as he might at times appear threatened to tip robin into floods of tears again i'm thinking about why it would have made her want to cry is the fact that he does think about her yeah it really makes you think how much he's holding himself back because he does think and care about other people very much but he doesn't always act on it because of everything telling him not to yes and i know you've said this already this Mm -hmm. episode but i cannot wait to see what he's like in a relationship with robin when he's worked through all these blocks and, and lets himself just do what feels right you know he's gonna be complimenting her all the time yeah i don't think i'm gonna make it through this chapter alive no (laughs) and when they go inside the sofa is mentioned and she says it folds out i cannot be the only one who instantly knew that strike was going to be sleeping on that sofa bed at some point right a hundred percent i would have bet money on it the second i read it yep also how convenient is it that as soon as strike's usual refuge of nick and elsa's spare room fulfills its destiny as a nursery and is no longer available he gets his comfy new refuge Mm -hmm. complete with the roasted chicken and steamed veg and robin i did not even think about that but you're so right Mm -hmm. i think we might have to put strike staying over again on our predictions list absolutely will be one absolutely yes but the tension dialed up even more i feel like i couldn't call myself a shipper if i didn't point out that the leaves of the plant that strike gives her are literally heart-shaped yeah and also this type of philodendron is called a sweetheart plant Mm-hmm. I don't think that Strike chose them necessarily for that reason, but it definitely feels like a bit of a knowing nod from Joe here. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. It definitely is. It reminds me of the perfume that I think is also a nod from Joe, where neither of them pick vanilla. These gifts are signs of what they want from each other, I think. And this is the second gift he gives to her in this book, the perfume being the first in the prologue, where she says, I love it. Mm -hmm. Big contrast to her feelings about flowers. Mm -hmm. But I'm really hoping that, you know, he gives her another gift at some point where she Mm -hmm. says, I love it. Like something she can wear on her finger, maybe. Oh my God. (laughs) You really got up today and you chose violence, didn't you? (laughs) Just out here attacking me like this. I chose Mm. swooning this morning. Chose something. In relation to the plant that Strike got Robin, this part made me laugh. The joke about how Strike was worried that the plant would count as flowers. Yeah. Mm. So cute. Yeah. And somehow I don't think that he and Charlotte were ever able to go back and make jokes about previous arguments that they had had. Yeah, you're right. It makes me wonder if that's part of why he seems a little bit nervous because it says that he says this to her with a sideways glance but I hope that her response of laughter and being so happy about the gift is not only a relief to him but a bit of a realization that things don't have to end in explosion yeah I want him to pay attention to that yeah strike 
So next, Robin checks the BBC News website to see whether the person who pushed the man in front of the train at the tube station has been caught. And here is where we finally learn Valpatura's actual name, which is Oliver Beach. Well, this is a bit of a mind trick for me because we already knew it, but it's easy to forget that we know more than Strike and Robin do sometimes. Yeah, definitely a bit of a mind trip. Mm-hmm. Now, Linda's attitude here when Robin says that Strike is helping her move is interesting and a little bit irritating to me because honestly, who's disapproving about their daughter's best friend helping them move? I doubt that Linda knows that they've declared themselves best friends. Wouldn't it be amazing if Robin said at some point, he's my best friend? Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But I'm going to just read it out here because I feel like there's like... Yeah, there's a lot stuff here. We- yeah, there's just some stuff we can unpack. So it says... Oh, said Linda, managing to load the monosyllable with an impressive amount of surprise, curiosity, and disapproval. Her mistrust of Strike had tangled roots, but the injuries Robin had sustained while working for the agency, coupled with the fact that she'd run out on the first dance at her wedding to pursue her work partner, probably went deepest. Robin decided not to mention the fact that she'd nearly been hit by a train the previous day, which would doubtless be laid at Strike's door, too. You know what? This read is the first time I've noticed something, and I'm really curious about it. It says that Linda's mistrust is mostly because of Robin's injuries and that Robin ran out on her first dance. But I'm wondering what the other things could be, because it's implying that there's more, but we don't really know of anything else. So I have a bit of a theory that I assume people agree with that Linda does suspect that Robin has feelings for Strike. And I'd be willing to bet that like her daughter, Linda has Googled the hell out of Strike Mm -hmm. and has seen all this stuff, the drama with Charlotte of the rock star father. And I bet she has this image of him in her mind and she's worried that he's going to break Robin's heart in a different way than he did before. Yeah, I agree. I too am certain that Linda suspects Robin has feelings for him. I mean, she Mm -hmm. hasn't been suspicious since Career People. Yeah. Thinking that he would break her heart because of all this stuff about him. Yeah. I hope she gets to know him. Yeah, me too. We will definitely have to talk more about the Linda debate when we get to the chapter with the bomb. Yeah. It's a debate that I often find myself in because even though I think her blame of strike is unfair. I don't think she deserves the hate that she gets. Yeah, I can see where Linda's coming from with her worry over Robin. I will say that. Me too. My guess is that it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. I think that Linda needs to get whatever she feels about strike out and that it needs to be challenged by Robin. I don't know if it's going to happen until Robin is more ready to be open with her feelings, but we'll see. I definitely don't think that this won't ever be resolved, though. I would love to see a big argument between Robin and Linda, where Robin is actually open about her feelings. Me too. Because I think part of the reason why Linda worries so much and fills in all these gaps is because Robin doesn't tell her what's going on, which I can understand because Robin doesn't want to worry her or get Mm -hmm. judgment, but it just becomes a vicious circle, right? Yeah, it does. Basically, I think my feelings are Robin and Linda love each other. Mm-hmm. They used to be close. They need to clear the air and each of them adjust to this sort of changing mother-daughter dynamic as Robin grows older. Yeah, I think that J.K. Rowling writes the adult-daughter and mother relationship so well. Yeah. I can relate to both sides, being mm-hmm. a daughter and being a mother. I just, I don't think that Linda Ellicott is a bad woman or a bad mother. No, yeah. But we can come back to this because I know that there's a lot more to this discussion. 
Oh, this is making me, I gotta call my mom. <laughs> I haven't called my mom this week and I had a chat. So we've already talked about how sweet Strike is here and we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Go ahead. He's so determined to help here. And have I mentioned lately how much I love him? Because I love him a lot. I like that it says his determination to help overrode his qualms about what this might do to his hamstring. Because this is definitely one time where I'm not upset with him about pushing himself because it's just so sweet. Yeah. If you're going to mess up your leg again, it might as well be for some good reason. for Robin. I also like when Robin asks him if he's sure he's okay. He just makes a joke about letting her carry the heavy stuff. He's not at all defensive. I love that. Mm -hmm. There's another underrated line here where Strike is saying that you can't call a place home until you know where the nearest chippy is. Mm -hmm. And to me, there's just something really sweet about Robin finally getting to call this place home while Strike's there with her. Oh my God, Ken, come on. Just needed to swoon a little bit. Yeah, I loved this bit about her jumping up to go and refusing his money and thanking him again. It's a sweet moment between them. I love that it's fish and chips they're eating. Same Mm. as their date in Skegness. Their date. And yes, I know it's a popular dish in the UK. I don't care. I think the best part about it for me is that he's not wanting to jump up and leave or trying to escape. He wants to stay and have dinner with her. Yeah. Can he not see the difference between the sporting and now? He is a giant dummy. Mm -hmm. We said thank you to Joe earlier for the image of Strike uh, in his underwear. And I have to say say thank you again. We're going to say thank you again. But this time, forgiving a Strike as a handyman. Can I (laughs) I get him to come to my house to help put together some furniture? I would like that very much. Listen, I have an Ikea dresser here that has been sitting boxed up for more than a month. And I would really (laughs) like Strike to come help me with it. I mean, more seriously, though, if Strike putting her bookshelf together while she's gone isn't boyfriend status i don't know what is it's big dating energy <laughs> wow we really really found a lot of good uses for bde haven't yeah, we? we really we mm-hmm. really have and you know what it's that the original fits so well as well big detective energy big dad energy big dating energy yeah Aww. i'm just okay in general strike in this chapter is great the book crush is strong i really love it yeah mm-hmm. On a less cute note, something happens that really ramps up the anxiety, and that is that Strike finds out that Robin's name has been released to the press. Yeah, I think it's really nice that she tries to apologize a couple times for the train incident. And even though he could say something like, yeah, I'm a bit nervous about it, he doesn't do that. He doesn't make her feel worse. Which is something he also doesn't do at the end. While Robin is in the game, Anime announces that there are openings for mods to replace Vile Petura and Lord Drek. I know that this is ridiculous of me. Go ahead. But I love that this news makes Robin go sit beside Cormoran on the couch so that they can lean in and watch the game together. Uh-huh. I'm just saying they gotta be pretty close. Uh, are you <laughs> kidding? Let's be ridiculous together. Because of yeah. course I thought the same thing. Are you I kidding? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if their arms are touching, are their legs touching? I oh just want gosh. any touching. Any yeah. touching. More touching. All the touching, please. But I mean, I guess going back to the actual plot or whatever. <laughs> so another thing that Anime mentions that's really important is he mentions bugging. 
while explaining why Lord Drek and Vilpatura were fired, which is a clue. It is a clue. It's funny because while he's talking about this in the game, she mentions Gus and then Strike brings up his previous point about Gus bugging the upper floor of the house. Almost. Like we're supposed to be thinking about that for some reason. Almost. I'm going to attempt not to mention the connection with bugging to Letha White and just say... That it's amazing rereading this because it feels like she's almost giving us the answer again. There's something else that gets mentioned here by Strike. And I think we've heard about it before in previous books where he mentions Robin getting earplugs because of the noise. And Mm. uh, Robin thinks to herself that she never blocked her ears at night because she feared the inability to hear anyone moving in the dark. I have a couple thoughts about this. I'm not sure if this is a fully developed thought, but I do like that she's setting them up to have very similar living spaces. So earlier it's mentioned that her place is just a little bit bigger than his. They both have a communal door and now they both have loud music playing. I'm not sure if the intention here is more of the thing we're seeing in this book where she's making them true equals or if it's setting something up for when they eventually live together. I don't know, but it seems too perfect to be unintentional. I love that idea that there are true equals now and that this is like a symbol of that. Yeah. My other thought is that sometimes I wonder if she'll say something to strike about why she doesn't wear earplugs or headphones. But it's also striking to me as just one of those differences between men and women where men don't typically have to think about these things. Mm -hmm. So I also wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't say anything and it's simply just a demonstration of that. Yeah, me too. And it was mentioned in Troubled Blood, too, that she doesn't wear headphones unless Mm -hmm. Max is home. And my paranoid self thinks it's some kind of foreshadowing for someone being attacked at home while wearing headphones in a future book. But it's probably more likely that you're right. It's just an illustration of that difference. Yeah. Another thing I love about this chapter is when Strike is smoking at the window. He's taking everything in about her safety in this new place. He's looking at the street being well lit. He thinks the doors can be risky. He asks if she has an alarm. And I know it's not just because he loves her, but I just find it very touching. And the communal door not always being safe does make me think of Morehouse now. I don't know if that's intended foreshadowing or anything, but... I fully think it is because Mm -hmm. it's at the end of this part that a communal entrance proves to be deadly. Yeah, it does. Not just risky, deadly. The next part we're coming to is a breakthrough where Strike writes down Vilepatura's name and makes the connection that Vilepatura is an anagram of Oliver Peach's name and that his brother Charlie was one of the men that was trying to recruit Wally Cardu earlier in the book. Okay, the whole finding an anagram thing. I went and found a website that turns words into anagrams. Mm. And I saved some of my favorites for Cormoran Strike and Robin Ellicott. Do you guys want to hear some? Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, I do. I'm going to start with Robin. So anagrams for Robin Ellicott. Are you ready for this? Yes. A brittle colon. (laughs) (laughs) Brittle. Liable contort. Okay, that makes sense. Clarion bottle. (laughs) Liberal cotton. (laughs) Which is good. Yeah, that is good. And then the last one I saved for her, this, I don't know if it's the best or the worst, but collarbone tit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's pretty funny. That is a pretty good one. That's a really good one. Okay, so moving to strike. By the way, I learned that you can spell the word romance or romancer with strike's name. 
Oh, fantastic. That out there. going to be good. Yeah. I didn't include any of the romance ones in because they weren't, the following words weren't great. I can pull them up right now, though, if you want me to. Okay. So anagrams for Cormoran Strike. This first one is my favorite. (laughs) It's really good. Astronomer Rick. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. Astronomer Rick. That's pretty good. Crankier Motors. (laughs) Crankier Motors sounds like someplace he would take his BMW to be serviced. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Carrots Moniker. Oh, Uh okay. Errant Sick Room. Okay, that makes sense, actually. Starker Moronic. (laughs) And this last one that I like, it feels like it needs the word the in front of it. I think that mm-hmm. would be perfect, but croakiest Mr. Nor. <laughs> <laughs> I like that with the, the croakiest Mr. Nor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's delightful. Let me scroll down oh, a bit to that. the romance one. So yeah, we have what kind of romancer is he? Um, <laughs> romance irk sort. Oh, okay. Romance risk rot. Interesting. It's like these are secret clues. Romance or ski rot. Okay. Romance or skit or. (laughs) Yeah, some of these anagrams are like ridiculous. Yeah, that was just fun. I enjoyed that. That's super fun. I like that. It's a fun way to end a very fun chapter. Yeah, so I don't know if um, Strike and Robin were going to pick a username based on (laughs) anagrams. For Strike, I'm going to go with Astronomer Rick. I really like that one. I like that too. Collarbone tit is. Uh, if we ever need to book a place somewhere and have a secret, a secret sort of code. password, yeah. yeah, Astronomer Rick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to do 61? I'm ready. All right. Chapter 61. Gus is both Paperwhite and Anime discusses Robin saving Varl Petura on Drex Game with Hartella and Morehouse. So the epigraph, thus drive thou hence the phantoms, cleanse my soul, thou sweet enchantress with the magic spells. And that's To Hope by Matilda Blind. The only thing I could think for this is that it's reflecting Paper White bewitching and tricking Morehouse. This poem is basically a lengthy ode to the power of hope to step into the darkest, most despairing wilderness of our lives and give us a vision of possibility of something else, which is, of course, exactly what's happening here with Morehouse. He's gotten a sense of hope from his plan with Paper White. He thinks he'll be able to do something about this mess he's in. The fact that Joe chose these specific lines from the poem where Hope is an enchantress with magic spells does seem to me to hint that Paper White is not as innocent as she seems, that she's weaving mm-hmm. a web of deception around Warhouse, snaring him with this false hope. That reminds me of probably my all-time favorite line from this series so far from Letha White. Yeah. It was a glorious thing to be given hope when all had seemed lost. But in the worst way possible, because it's false hope. I know. Mm. Oh, yay. We have another chat chapter. This one is between four of the eight mods of Drex game. And we'll do this the same way that we did last time and kind of discuss each of them on their own. Mm -hmm. So first, we're going to start out with Hartella and Anime. And Hartella, unsurprisingly, immediately blabs to Anime that the woman she was interviewed by is the same woman who saved Oliver Peach and knows exactly who Robin is is now i was face palming a bit at our telly here if i were her 
I would definitely not want Annamie to know that I'd fallen for this. It is yeah. a dumbass move to come out and just <laughs> tell him this. Yeah. But, you know, I guess he she just doesn't believe he's actually dangerous, right? I mean, I'm shocked that you were facepalming at Hartella. <laughs> I mean, this is willful dumbassery on uh, her part. Willful dumbassery, yeah. It <laughs> is. Sum up of Hartella, isn't it? Yeah, you can tell how guilty and anxious she feels by how many messages she's sending in a row, which I know that I'm definitely guilty of doing. <laughs> I do that to you, Kent, all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I can feel the anxiety she must be feeling. But it also oh, yeah. made me nervous for Robin, too, because this is now a threat that we're aware of, but she and Strike aren't yet. And it's weird because we know that Gus has seen them before. We know he was aware that they've been interviewing people about anime, right? Mm-hmm. But something about Hartella giving Gus Robin's name about him discovering that they were steps away from him committing an attempted murder feels so much more dangerous and ominous. It is, yeah. Do you guys think that by the end of this chat with Hartella and Anime that she's sort of finally starting to get just how dangerous Anime is? Because I was definitely feeling like, oh shit, if this were me, I would probably be pissing my pants right now. Honestly, not really. I think her desire to make him happy and do what he wants is not really coming from a place of fear, but maybe because she doesn't want to lose that sense of belonging. She doesn't want to lose her place in the game or the fandom. She doesn't want Anime to turn on her on Twitter. She doesn't want to jeopardize her book. Maybe if Anime had threatened to kill her too, she'd have had a realization, but he just threatens her with prison, so. To be fair, when he was threatening her with prison, I was like, okay, dude. Yeah, really? Okay. So next is Morehouse and Paperwhite. And Paperwhite reaches out to Morehouse asking if he's seen the news. Paperwhite picks Morehouse's brain about what he thinks about the private detectives being around Vile Petura. Paper White says, could she have been following enemy? If they'd been following Gus at the time, they would have seen him change into that Batman costume at some point and he would be arrested right now, which would have solved a lot of problems. Yeah, no one was on Gus. Oh, someone should have been on Gus. God damn it. Yeah, but I definitely do think that Gus is worried about being followed. I think we see that in the next chapter. Yeah. And next, Gus's paper white suggests that they go to the agency for help, which, you know, I guess makes sense. Yeah, I think that this is basically Gus sealing the murder deal. I think he's really confirming to himself that Morehouse is going to quote unquote betray him and therefore he feels justified in killing him. Also, I think that he's taking control of Morehouse's fear by giving him a plan, one that Gus, as Paperwhite, is in control of, because doing this ensures that Morehouse will wait, that he's not just going to break and phone the cops one evening, right? It's giving Enemy time to get the details of his murder plot together. Yeah, he's buying himself some time. The last chat for this chapter is in between Anime and Morehouse. And this chat has Anime reaching out to Morehouse to discuss options for new mods since Lord Drek and Vile Petura are now out. I don't really have anything else to say about this chat other than it's really sad to read Anime telling Morehouse that he just wants things to get back to the way they used to be, knowing full well that he's about to murder his friend. But we do see Anime throw out the name of our girl Buffy Paws as a possible <laughs> moderator. Proving once again that Robin is superior to the cops in every way. I kind of like the irony here that Morehouse had once trusted Gus, the person who's about to take him down. But yeah. Gus is also trusting the person who's about to take him down. Mm-hmm. That's sweet like justice. Sweet ass justice. Are we ready to go to 62? The last one of this set? Yes. All right. Chapter 62. 
In this chapter, Robin and Strike arrive at the hospital where Josh Blay is staying. The epigraph to this chapter reads, He left her, but she followed him. She thought he could not bear when she had left her home for him to look on her despair. And that is from She Sat Alone Beside Her Hearth by Letitia Elizabeth Landon. The first line immediately makes me think of Kia and Josh. He mm. left her, but she followed him. So he left Kia for Edie. But then the later line makes me think of Katya when she had left her home for him to look on her despair. It kind of mm. reminds me of her leaving her home life to build this relationship with Josh. But it's despair because she doesn't have the kind of relationship that she might wish she could. And then, of course, what happens to him. Mm. I guess I'm just wondering if this epigraph is referring to both Kia and Katja. Um, And it might make sense because we see them fighting with each other over him in the beginning of this chapter. Mm -hmm, We do. And I like that interpretation with both. I was just thinking about Kia because the poem as a whole is it's about a young girl who falls in love with a stranger and saves him from death before she marries him. But then he turns cruel and mean and she despairs but loves him even more. And when he leaves her, she follows him. But when he finally turns her away, she kills herself by sending her boat over a waterfall. And honestly, this poem is basically how Kia sees herself. She is so hard done by, so long-suffering, so noble and pure in her love and a martyr. She confesses suicide in the letter she writes Josh. But of course, the way that Kia sees herself does not align with actual reality or everyone else's perception. So it's kind of an ironic poem choice for her. I think you're right that it's probably mostly Kia. I'm just kind Mm -hmm. of interested in thinking about how it could also apply to Katja because both women kind of follow him and want more with him and both despair Mm -hmm. over what's happened. And we Mm -hmm. see that despair in this chapter. Yeah, we definitely do. I agree. This chapter opens with Strike calling Ryan Murphy to tell him about his discovery regarding the Peach brothers. And I love that strike received a loud fuck for his trouble (laughs) yeah i liked this moment with murphy it's such a contrast to have these friendly and yes i'm considering this friendly reactions Mm -hmm. from murphy with what they used to get with carver or even wardle which was always a bit tinged with competition yeah strike and murphy really could have built a real friendly productive relationship (laughs) yeah (laughs) too bad that's gonna be uh it's pretty much a non-starter now yeah i wonder if there's any way possible for this not to get messy and then to keep murphy as a contact because Mm. he's such a good contact for them i know right i guess i've had the wishful hope that maybe since he's such a nice guy that he realizes how robin feels lets her off the hook nicely and they can stay friends but i realize that might be a big wish yeah it is so something that i love is that murphy asked strike to give robin his best and then strike immediately forgets afterwards (laughs) immediately to me this kind of points to more of that whole strike being blind to murphy's interest in robin yeah it definitely does it's very reflective of robin's blindness to what was right in front of her in the beginning you know with him leaving the office with a bag and that kind of thing but i still really love these parallels she's making with the both of them being blind and then being blindsided and the realization it causes i guess even in these times of disconnection i think the parallels are being made for us to connect them together and it's funny because usually he is super aware you know insanely aware of men being interested in robin yeah remember when wardle gave her a zigzag look in the beginning of career of evil and strike asked him how his wife was of course is it something about murphy that's making him not pick up on this i think that the time where it was right in front of him after the Mm -hmm. bomb 
is actually really understandable to me because like we talked about in our last episode, he was likely really struggling from some PTSD Mm -hmm. and he was really hyper-focused on taking care of Pat. So that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I don't find anything silly about that, about him not seeing that. The rest of the time, I hate giving this answer because it feels like a bit of a cop-out, but it has to be this way for the (sighs) plot, you know? Both of them needed to be blindsided to remove their blindness. It just, it yeah. just has to be. It, it just has to be. I do think it's sweet of Murphy and is kind of another sign to me that he seems like a nice guy, that he's asking after her. Mm-hmm. I just get the impression that he's very interested in her. I mean, who really likes be? her. Who wouldn't uh-huh. be? But poor guy, you know, let's set him up with Marguerite. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to inflict Marguerite on him. I'm just kidding. Him. I'm just no. kidding. Let's give him Nina's number. I liked Nina. Sure, she's fine. Strike's reaction to the tabloids covering Robin and Moe's efforts to save Oliver Peach really endear me to him, where it says, Strike was unsurprised, though displeased, that it was the pretty young white woman's picture that led most of the tabloids' coverage of the incident. I was a little unsure reading this line if I thought he was displeased because of the everyday racism of that, or if it was because he didn't want Robin's picture in the paper so much. It was my thought he was more displeased that Robin's picture is in the paper because of course he doesn't want to make it easier for the happening to connect right. the dots let alone the fact that publicity might make it harder for her to do her thing you know but yeah he definitely sees the racism and on general principle is like this is bad but I think right. his more personal and pressing worry here is is definitely about Robin yeah that makes sense I agree I suppose the pretty young white woman is telling that he definitely is thinking about how unfair this is but yeah I think you're right that the personal reason is Robin's safety I also just like that he thinks of her as pretty I'm glad you said it because otherwise I was gonna have to (laughs) listen I'm gonna need a beautiful out of his mouth regarding Robin in the next book please yeah honestly we're due we're overdue it is time to her face strike (laughs) not in your head to her face it is time yeah so strike is still worried about the looming threat from the happening but at the very least they get a couple of leads on some of their side cases here which thank goodness honestly these Mm. guys need a bit of a morale booster it's a pity that one of these leads isn't really a lead at all and that's Barkley's update that Gus isn't anime yeah I think it's safe to say that at this point anime is figured out exactly how Yasmin can make up for the interview that she did with Robin because at this point she has to be mm. in the game impersonating him like we were talking about earlier yeah definitely this is happening now it obviously in hindsight I should have been more suspicious that the very first person they rule out right away is Gus because now it seems obvious that since he knows they're being followed by PIs, Mm -hmm. the whole thing of walking without his phone, keeping his hands in his pocket when he's having Hartella be enemy is all done with a purpose. It's all done for show. He knows he's being watched. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. Why did I not pick this up? Why was I not suspicious? Honestly, yeah. I am kicking myself too. This Mm -hmm. really should have made it super obvious. I also think that the other breakthrough that they have in this moment was also a false lead Mm -hmm. or not accurate because the housekeeper was being manipulated by fingers. Is that right? Yes. He's told the housekeeper that his stepfather is being surveilled by the Russian government. Mm. (laughs) So she's afraid of the KGB. Right. As one is. As one is. And helping (laughs) him get the cameras out of his house. Oh my god. I'm thinking knock knock. It's the KGB. (laughs) KGB KGB waits waits for for no one. one. (laughs) No, 
Oh, classic. It's nice they think they have a couple leads, but they really don't. They do not. Strike thinks about his upcoming date with Madeline and he oh, has another one. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. I know. I know. But he has a couple of interesting thoughts here that I'm just going to go ahead and read out here. And it says it didn't escape his notice that he was now thinking in terms of getting through hours spent with her when just a few short weeks ago, their dates had been a welcome distraction and a life dominated by work. He was still enjoying the sex, but otherwise found it difficult to give her more than a fraction of his attention because most of it was focused on concerns he couldn't or didn't want to share with her. If she sensed this slight withdrawal, she gave no sign. She was still abstaining from alcohol in his presence. I remember first reading this when it said he's thinking it in terms of getting through hours. And I was like, yes, it's like, happening. It's almost here. <laughs> Definitely. You know, you need to break up with somebody when you're thinking about spending time with your partner in terms of getting through it. <laughs> Or also when your partner throws a jewelry box at your face. Yeah, I don't really know what else to say that we haven't already said about the fact that it's so clear that he needs to end this relationship, but can't or won't. Mm -hmm. But it's such a nice contrast to the next paragraph that points out that he and Robin hadn't seen each other for a week. He's wondering how he can get through time with Madeline while it's also noting the time that he and Robin have spent apart. And I bet he's missing Robin. That's exactly how I read that they haven't seen each other in a week. Yeah, absolutely. There's this thing here at the end where it says that she is still abstaining from alcohol in his presence. And to me, that says that she's still drinking when she's yeah. not around him, but is refraining yeah. when she knows that she'll be seeing him. Just in case there's any stragglers out there who still think that Madeline is abstaining from drinking because she's secretly pregnant. Well, number one, I don't think that still, like we were saying, that she would know at this point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I absolutely think that's what it's saying. But even more, I think that the not drinking is literally just the calm before the storm where she shows up drunk out of her mind at that final confrontation. That's mm -hmm. what this is. Yeah, I agree. He's fully aware that she's trying to keep up the show of good behavior for him. But he doubts that she's actually changed anything. He knows she's just doing it for him. Yeah. And I just realized the flaw in my pregnancy theory thing. It's that she could have gotten pregnant before that night, May 23rd. But then I realized, no, because if she knew earlier, she would have told him on the phone when they were breaking up. I'm like, no, it still checks out. I think we're still good. Strike is on his way to meet up with Robin before they drive to the hospital to interview Josh when he receives a call from Grant Ledwell demanding an update. And I have to say, Strike's internal reaction to Grant's sense of entitlement here is just perfect. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking, as Grant wasn't paying for the agency's services, Strike considered the resentful tone and the fact that Grant had called Strike at a weekend to indicate a level of entitlement unjustified by their relative status. Mm -hmm. Basically, Grant is a giant dickhead here. <laughs> From what I've heard, there's been very little progress. Like, fuck off, dude. Yeah. And very rich coming from the guy who's literally withholding evidence. Literally. Yeah, really. And from what he's heard, you know what? I would bet money that both Maverick and Yeoman have stopped taking Grant's calls completely. I would have. So now he's trying to strike because he's been cut off. Probably. Can I say that I love how Robin calls Grant a bit cheeky here? Mm -hmm. She and Strike seriously have the same brainwaves, first of all. They both think like, how dare you? But yeah. also just the phrase a bit cheeky is really cute. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just cute. So next, Robin offers to drive, even though they're taking his car. This is another moment where he isn't defensive. He's just mm -hmm. grateful because his hamstring is hurting. 
I hadn't noticed these moments before, but I'm wondering if it's a sign of him being comfortable, showing more vulnerability with her, unless he has before and I'm just not remembering it. No, this this kind of feels new to me too. Mm-hmm. Him being able to accept her offers of help without resentment or grumpiness. I think he's come to trust her. He trusts her to help him in the way he needs without the fussing or the pity. He's realized, you know, Robin is different. I'm safe with her. Yeah. Oh, he is. We thought we were done swooning. They're safe with each other, you guys. Next, Strike and Robin briefly discuss the update in the Ross case. And one of Robin's thoughts here was really interesting. And it says that she wonders, but doesn't ask, how Strike intended to use this said footage if he managed to get it. Would he take it straight to Ross or hand it to Charlotte to help her win her custody case? I feel like this would have been a fair question to ask because the last time they talked about it on the tube, he had made the comment about not wanting to make it worse for the kids. Yeah, I would have asked it. I bet Strike would have shared his plan with her if she'd asked. I had said a while back that I didn't think Charlotte was living in Robin's head as much as she was in Troubled Blood. And maybe it's not as much as Troubled Blood, but I think this might be evidence that I was wrong a bit because Mm -hmm. it seems like she's afraid that he's going to do this for Charlotte Mm -hmm. and then of course what would that mean absolutely and I think her failing to ask him points to that fear she's afraid to hear the answer that he's gonna give oh doesn't even know god (laughs) okay strike and robin arrive at the hospital car park where Katya Sarah and Kaya Niven are yelling at each other about (laughs) visiting Josh with Flavia in tow I was just immediately put in mind of birds just shrieking at each other. <laughs> right. Okay. I'd been looking up gifs of cockatoos doing the thing where they pull all their feathers up yeah. and like squawk and dance to each other. And the image of this is hilarious. Yeah. We're back to our flocking flock of flockers. Flock and flock right? of flockers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm also cracking up at Kia's response to seeing Strike when she says, oh God, no, not him. <laughs> Which is the exact opposite reaction I would have. <laughs> yeah. Again. Right? Very, very different. <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you guys feel about Katya's reaction to Kaya here? I think that Katya has a tendency to be overprotective. And she might even be jealous of Kia for having had a romantic relationship with Josh. But it's hard to totally fault her here because it's Kia, you know? Yeah, I'd be keeping Kia the hell away from Josh if I was Katya. We mm-hmm. know he doesn't want to see her. And we know that Katya has been giving him the letters. He just doesn't want to answer them. But I do agree that there's probably an element of that sort of romantic sexual jealousy here as well. Mm -hmm. There's another tiny clue here, I think, when Katya is scolding Flavia for bringing a puppy in the house. And she's saying Mm -hmm. not to bring up Inigo or Gus or dogs Mm -hmm. or things being unfair. Do you guys think that Joe is trying to remind us here about Gus's fear of dogs again? Because that's part of the reason why they can't have a dog, Uh aside from the whole thing with Inigo. Yeah, it takes Mm -hmm. me right back to that first meeting with Epcot and the mention of that out of control dog nearby. So I think you're totally right. How heartbreaking is it when Mm -hmm. Flavia is talking about when both Gus and Inigo had to go to the hospital at the same time and she said that she really liked both of them being gone? Doesn't that just like speak to how fucking awful her day-to-day with both of them must have been? It is sad, but if you want to look at it in a positive light, she's about to get her wish in a big way. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're going to be gone forever. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Yeah, it is really the only bright side that Gus killed Inigo first and got himself thrown in prison. Yeah, it's a big bright side. A real big one. Well, yeah. yeah okay. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> he might want to get a new house. Yeah, 
I would sell that house. Me too. It mentions Flavia wanting to do a school project on somebody who went on a misogynist sort of rampage. And I'm pretty sure that the person she's talking about is Elliot Roger, incel leader. He became like the face of that movement. I think that that's what she's referring to here, which is funny because obviously Elliot Roger was was an incel and so is Gus. Yeah, I'm not sure if Flavia is making the connection herself and that's why she's so interested in him or if it's just a clue from Joe to the reader. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's why Flavia was interested because Mm -hmm. there's that little line that says Robin believed she was well aware of the image she was painting of her home life. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. it could be another way that Flavia is attempting to get Strike and Robin to get it. I think so too. I think she saw the similarities in Gus and Roger. I think she's terrified of what Gus has done and what he might do. And she's definitely trying to tip off Robin without exposing herself to any reprisals from Gus when he finds out. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about this animosity between Katya and Kaya. And we definitely see that demonstrated here where we see Katya ripping up the letter that Kaya wanted to give to Josh in half. And then Robin goes and doubles back to retrieve and read it. I love them in this moment with Robin saying, oh, damn, I left my notes in the car. And (laughs) (laughs) your read on that line is amazing. I want Holiday to do it just like that in the show. (laughs) Oh, Oh, damn. damn. (laughs) And then strike. Oh, you better go back and get it then. You know, it just. I can picture Holiday and Tom doing that. Yeah, it feels too obvious. And it endears me to Flavia that she immediately knew exactly what they were doing. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. Yes. I love that she picked up on that. I can't (laughs) believe that Katya didn't. I know. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, Flavia should definitely grow up to be a detective. She's got the skills. Yeah. Flavia's personality is a bit interesting, isn't it? Because it's, Mm. it's kind of a bold question when she asks her, did you get it? Yeah. I would have suspected, but been too afraid to ask. Yeah. She's a straightforward girl. Well, except for when she's making secret phone calls and hinting. But you know, know. (laughs) she'll grow into it. But Robin does get the note and Kia addresses it to Joshlings, which is maybe more horrifying to me than Cormy Wormy. Yeah, that is awful. <laughs> I love Kaya's comment here in the letter that Strike was basically trying to terrify me all the way through <laughs> the interview. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. Yeah, and calling him so aggressive that she went home and vomited. He was not aggressive. <laughs> he Ridiculous. Seeing into Kaya's twisted view of events is so surreal. Do you think she genuinely believes the stuff she says? Oh, it's so hard to know. I want to say that there's no way she actually believes the nonsense she says, Mm -hmm. because how can anyone twist the truth so wildly and then believe it themselves? But she does have the real victim mentality. And I've Mm -hmm. seen people like this really believe these warped senses of reality in order to be seen as the victim. So Mm -hmm. I I guess she does, but it's it's hard to imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Really is. is anybody else getting like major Charlotte vibes from this letter? Yeah, absolutely. This letter is such crap. The whole paragraph where she tells him that basically this wouldn't have happened if he just listened to her and stayed away from Edie. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. And also so much manipulation and about hurting herself, which like you said, definite Charlotte vibes. Yeah. The letter, the whole letter is dripping in manipulation and threats. She says near the end of it that Josh hasn't seen the real her in a long time just because she's angry. But I'm like, bullshit, Kia. The nasty Kia is the real. 
Kia. Yeah. It is the realest part of her. I'm really glad Josh didn't get this letter. Oh my God, same. Katya was right to rip that shit up. It's so sweet though that Flavia wants to stay with Robin. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that Robin goes into the interview with Josh obviously because there's things I don't want her to miss Mm -hmm. but it would have been really interesting to see what Flavia would have told her if yeah they had been allowed to be on their own for a bit I think they would have solved that case much much sooner Mm -hmm. because Flavia would have figured out a way to put Robin and Gus's scent I guess that's why it couldn't happen yeah those were really great chapters you guys Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I was thinking the other day that Ink Black Heart is the only book where I can't decide what my favorite chapter is Chapter 60 is definitely one of them. 60 is really up. So before we get to what chapters we're covering in the next episode, I wanted to do something that we've never done before. And I feel a little weird about doing it, but every podcast I've ever listened to has done it. So it can't be that weird. The three of us really have a shared goal of continuing to grow the podcast. One thing we'd love to be able to do one day is to interview people involved. I don't know if that will ever happen, but it could, and it would be amazing. Um, And one way that you can help us do that is to leave us a nice review on whatever platform you listen, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. Another way is to leave us comments about the episodes on social media. Both of those things really help to increase engagement and awareness. And we really, really appreciate the reviews and comments that we have gotten. We occasionally get some less than nice ones, but for the most part, it blows my mind how wonderful people have been and that people enjoy listening. So if you have a moment and feel inclined to do so, we would really appreciate it. Unless your comment is to tell us that we talk about the romance parts too much. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, guys. That's uh, not going anywhere. Yeah, we do get that one a lot. But you know what? Uh, we talk about what's in the book. So that seems like more of a comment for Joe, really. <laughs> Except for don't actually do that. Don't don't go leave her comments. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can all imagine what our ultimate dream goal would be mm-hmm. if everyone can put that on a vision board for us that would be great Man- we can manifest, manifest it manifest it, manifest it. <laughs> okay so what are we doing next time all right so next time we are doing chapters 63 through 67 and in these episodes we see strike and robin interviewing josh blay robin visits highgate as jessica robbins and also interviews pez in disguise oh the pez chapter the other yeah. pez chapter the one yes. without his penis. Yes. <laughs> Not for a lack of trying on his part, though. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy what you've heard, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the SE Files Pod. You can also contact us on our website at the SEFilespod.com or email us directly at SEFilespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for listening, and we hope to catch you next time for another episode of the Strike in Ellicott Files.